Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Horror Show, where every Friday we'll be covering another instalment in a classic horror franchise. Go to weirdgeeks.com and Weird Geeks on iTunes to check out our other podcast series, social medias, Twitch streams, contact details and news on our very own feature films, albums, shorts and more that are currently in production for our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the film's reference and no infringement is intended. Hello and welcome back to the Weird Geeks Horror Show, where every single Friday we take you through another installment of Classic Horror Retrospective Franchise, and for this fucking week, I actually mean it, Classic Horror Retrospective Franchise. <laughs> How true. many weeks that <laughs> sentence is a complete lie? <laughs> I'm your host, Al White, and joining me on our very special Jaws Retrospective is Alexander Chard. Hello. Alison Holland. Nom, 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 nom. And Thomas McCann. How you doing? Four different accents. Yeah. Four yeah. accents. So, a bevy. It's basically a, a, a bevy. baker's dozen. The smorgasbord of yeah. Our listeners will be able to understand one of us, yeah. depending on if, where they're If from. they're lucky. For people who don't know and are new to us, hello, welcome. Please head on out to Weird Geeks on your Blackberries, on your PDAs, on your PS Vitas. Find us, subscribe us, it rate us out a whole damn bunch. We don't do any of this for free. No, we do do this for free. It's a lie. We do it all for free. We don't do patrons. We don't do banner <laughs> Should I be getting paid? And by the love of everything in the ocean, we're not going to try and sell you any hot dogs. Shark fins. Well, yeah, definitely no shark fins. Shark fin soup. Definitely a shark. No. Everyone go watch Shark Water and the Cove. Oh, be chilled. Don't eat before watching it, please. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Carrying over, of course, from our last series, we have Alexander Chard and Alison Holland. New voice, beautiful Irish dulcet tones. Oh, yeah. Or abrasive, <laughs> depending on <laughs> Thomas so McCann, some of you might know you, obviously, some of you might know him from some of our regular shows. Tom and I actually started a version of this podcast. How long ago was that? Too long ago. It was for, don't f- want to say. It was for the fourth Fast and the Furious movie. That is, yep. I was going to say, it was for when Jaws originally came out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was the other show we did? Because we did Fast and Furious and we did one other franchise. We did Terminator. Oh. Definitely did Terminator because when the the Christian Bale one came out, pretty sure it was that one. Salvation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So we did that. Back when there's still And we did did Nolan's movies as well. Oh, God damn. We did some good films. Why don't we do good films? films, Shit chat. Why don't we do good films? Can we do Nolan movies? (laughs) That'd be fun. But no, we constantly want to U-turn and do directors. But again, we did Danny Boyle. No one listens. People want to hear about yeah, shitty horror movies. But it was Danny Boyle. What are you trying to say about Danny Boyle? Danny Boyle's great, but he's not Nolan. <laughs> no, he's not Nolan. That's true. Can anyone on- find these podcasts of you guys? They could, but then I forgot to pay my GoDaddy fees, so it's all been t- it's oh, all good. disappeared now. Annals <laughs> <laughs> of time. Right. Pretty sure I have the raw files somewhere. Fantastic. Somewhere, I mean, yeah. I'm sure they're all electrifying. So remember, because I used to do I used to do jingles as well of all the the trailer music. Even that's 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 can we bring that back? Yeah. Tommy still it really good. Like before, I would just phone in our intros where I just took some music track we don't have licensing to, and would just like <laughs> copy paste the same like VO that I have. Tom would take bits from the actual films and like mash it all together. No, it's just the trailers. I just find the trailers and just cut them all together because they're kind of already there. They have the sort of exciting music already laid there, and you sort of chop it up. Yeah, right. I, need to, I need to find that those was, actually. That was a golden era. The switchboard <laughs> is going to be lighting up with requests <laughs> for <laughs> this material. Yep. 
Anyway, Tom, thank you for joining us for this. Thanks we for appreciate having it. me. Thank you. Uh, it's nice, nice to be here. I mean, why, why? are you here? <laughs> why I'm did here? you agree to this? Because lockdown is really boring and I've got fuck all else to do. That's basically the reason. <laughs> and we've always been looking for excuses to bring you in. And we thought this is a fun one to do. Lockdown's happening. And it's not too long a series. We're going to be talking about the Ford Jaws films. We're going to throw in a fifth one, maybe, but we're going to talk about that at the end of this episode. And yeah, to be honest, we thought like it'd be a good new way. We want to get some new blood into our podcast. So a good way to introduce people, we feel, is to like have three of us bring in somebody new and then, yeah, judge you, basically. Judge me harshly. That's all right. Yeah. That's what life does. There will be a rating at the end. Okay, cool. Jaws, 1975. It gets an eight out of 10 on the old IMDb's. Wow. Fine, all right. <laughs> I mean, I think quite legitimately probably the highest score we've ever ever got (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah by the way potentially we're still doing the experiment that is zooming these podcasts alive as we talk about the films and doing a little instagram where you can just see two of us and then have beautiful awkward pauses as other people are talking if you want like a meditative experience that's the one i've been told people have been reporting back saying actually it's kind of nice having these long pauses where you just stare at each other i mean Um, who wouldn't want to meditate while staring at two of us being silent it's a very good question, Ali. Very good question. So yeah, come and check us out. Uh, I'm Mr. Al White on social medias and I'll be posting the codes each week or whenever we're doing recordings if you want to be a part of that. But 1975. The year that was. Reassuring for once on our show to say none of us were alive, which is nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're going to want to talk about the year that was. Somebody here has the worldwide box office of the top 10 films that they can talk about from the number 10 up to the number one. Who is it? That would be me, Al. <laughs> Take us through, Alex. And can you believe it? Nothing even broke a billion dollars that year. What losers. Preposterous. <laughs> Where was Marvel? Yeah. So coming in at number 10, everyone's favorite gang, the Apple Dumpling Gang. Anyone? No. Yep, okay. They're not even my favorite gang. <laughs> Anyone? Apple Dumplings? No. Apple, no. Apple Dumplings? Coming in at number nine, Tommy. Oh, yep. Tommy. Yeah. Tommy, everyone loves Tommy. Starring our yeah. own Tom. Yeah. The Wizard. Okay, so coming in at number eight, not uh, that side of the mountain, it's the other side of the mountain. <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent lead in. Was that the, how the trailer VO went? <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. not that side. Hey, the other side. At number seven, Al, she wasn't just a lady, she was a funny lady. Funny lady. Are these real movies? Yep. <laughs> yeah. You think we'd run out of titles by this point, but apparently in five, they'd already run out of titles. Wow. When you think of a condor, how many days do you think of? One, I 40. think of four days. Incorrect. Coming in number six, three days of the condor. I could talk about this one because I rebutted it fairly recently, actually. When the old man and the gun came out and Great I was movie. raving to everybody, we were doing a, our festival tour at that point and everyone was saying, Don't, like, everyone just go watch this movie because it's the best thing in the cinemas right now. <laughs> I went back and rewatched almost, well, not every, obviously, but a lot of the classic films that now i've got this fucking robert, robert redford. redford thank you have been in and How this is obviously one you? of them and this is the thing there's a lot of actors where you're like this is a huge actor and then you go and look at their retrospective of films and you're like they haven't actually been in that many classics you know it's always it's, i find it quite surprising how many actors are like that he's not one of them no he's been in so many fucking amazing movies and i think you he's would call that a, a red stupidly nice Honestly, he's the best and I love him. And that film is really interesting because at the time that was a high octane action thriller. Now you watch it and it's like a slow burn drama thriller because that's how like the language of action sort of changes, you know, and it still holds up. I love that. I love that. Great. So coming in number five, the sequel, The Return of the Pink Panther. I used to watch this a lot when I was a kid. Yep. Funny. 
Not you watching it. <laughs> I would watch it in an amusing fashion. It's true. Coming in at number four, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, I mean, this is legitimately one of my favorite films. Here we go. We're starting to we're starting to get into the classics. Mm. Number three, Shampoo. And um, we're right back out of the classics. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, and our top two films. The anyone want to have a stab in the dark? Jaws. Jaws is number one. That's uh, one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coming number two, making 108 million worldwide is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh-huh. And completely. Wow. Remember when really good movies would get yeah. to second place in the box office? <laughs> so third place was 49 million. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest made 108 million. Coming number one, Jaws made a whopping 470 million worldwide Ooh. yes it did so yes completely changed the landscape of and we'll be getting to that yeah. in a minute thank you alex that was illuminating as always thomas i believe you got the spookies mm. though it's all very well to know that jaws yeah. is up against some crooks in a bank who and gives a shit Robert about Redford running yeah, around exactly. with an eagle or some shit <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. what was jaws up against up against a load of films that I have never heard of before or seen, <laughs> starting with Death on an Old Mansion. Sounds spooky. Oh, yeah. See, I, like I mean, you sent me over this list, and I thought 1975 was a film at the top of the list because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so many of them are unrecognizable to me. It's like, oh, there's a film called 1970. Oh, no, it's the year. I mean, if you so, want, Al, I know a lot of these films from 1975. If you want me to give a brief Alex, description. Alex, please guide of, us through the synopsis of sure, each of these okay. movies. Off, go ahead, Tom. All right, so we had Death at an Old Mansion. Yeah, so this was an old real estate film. Deal went sour because it was uh, this family died there. And this real estate agent who was trying to sell it basically had a whole big problem with ghosts and it was an issue. But eventually he sold it. Good. Good All right. Know. Then we also have The Ghoul. The Ghoul. Uh, this is about a really ugly man um, who was quite ghoulish. And uh, he went on a killing spree because people gave him so much shit about his looks and called him The Ghoul all the time. Wow, sounds cruel. Bully. Mm-hmm. Then there was In of the Damned. In of the Damned. In as in double N in. Oh, uh, yeah. In as of in, the, yeah. Yeah. In of the you Damned. Know that one. Yeah, 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 I know that one. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it's a real favorite of mine. Uh, <laughs> about this uh, in. Now, people think it's, pe- it's, yeah, well, people think it's damned, but it, the thing is, it's a play on words. It was, there was an in mm-hmm. on a dam, and <laughs> the dam broke. Sure. And it just unleashed hell, basically, on the town below because water was everywhere. So interesting, interesting. Slow burn. Sounds like a soggy, <laughs> soggy nightmare. <laughs> then there was Kiss of the Tarantula. Ah, uh, Kiss of the Tarantula. Yeah, this was uh, about a woman that had a, a mustache. It looked like a tarantula and uh, just wanted to go around <laughs> kissing men. <laughs> and one man didn't want to kiss her and he killed her because that was the time back then. Men could do anything to women. <laughs> Um, and so she came back to haunt him. him. That was the time. <laughs> also, there was Legend of the Werewolf. Ah, uh, Legend of the Werewolf. Yeah. Well, it's self-explanatory. It was yeah. shit. It was we, shit. All, we all know the Legend of the Werewolf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we don't all know this one, Night of the Seagulls. Ah, uh, Night of the Seagulls. Yeah, this the is about a guy. to Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> Night of the Seagulls. This guy went down to the beach, Blackpool, I think it was, bought some chips Sort of like a play on the birds by Alfred Hitchcock, but just seagull-based. But with a man with some chips. <laughs> no chips. And takes place at night. Yeah. Staying on the food theme, we have Picnic at Hanging Rock. Ah, oh, this one is a famous one, isn't it? 
Yeah. Well, I, it was I, a famous I, picnic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a famous yeah. picnic. Yeah. Then there's Race with the Devil. Race with the Devil, uh, about a Formula One driver who he made was a pact. devilish. He was devilish. Yep. Yeah. Loved boozing and driving fast and fast women, as they say. But he crashed and he died. Um, <laughs> and he haunted uh, the track that he died on. Pretty sure that's the synopsis of the Ghost Rider movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one I definitely have heard of because it's one of my favorites, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, there we go. 1975. Yeah, that's a wonderful mm-hmm. film. Yep. And then good, another one good. I've never heard of called Salo, S-A-L-O. Salo? S-A-L-O. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. It's about a sailor. But in this, they use the accent. They're called Salos. And he was like a very naughty sailor and died at sea. And it's like this ship haunted ship mm. kind of thing i'm gonna burst the bubble for one second because sailor was something we nearly did during this year because um <laughs> oh, we were like gonna do sailors i mean sailors historically i think it's in the historical preservation of cinema wow. or whatever like it's a very wow. important film but it's one of the most controversial films of all time for its acts of sodomy and and sexual depictions and like what it does well there were sailors and they're on a the ship so you know i mean anything anything can happen anything goes and we were we keep trying to christina really wants to do it so we keep like trying to do like a series that are the most controversial films of all time but it's impossible to quantify because then you have to go by which country, how, is it how long they were banned for, or like are they just the ones that are still banned now, in which case it's illegal for us to even watch. <laughs> it's like there's so many like difficult ways of how to quantify it, but Sailor would 100% be on that list. Has she sure. seen it or you just told yeah. her about it and she was like, I want to do that? No, no, she had a week <laughs> where she was watching like nine and a half weeks and Sailor and like all right. of the dirty films that she'd never like watched and she kept texting me about it and I was like, yeah, I keep wanting I to do one. she tried to get me and Sean to watch one of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she did. Yeah, I remember that. I think it was, but everyone yeah. gets put off, Tom, whenever I talk about a controversial one, because they're all like, oh, yeah, let's do that, because they think it sounds dangerous and sexy. And then you mentioned a Serbian film. <laughs> People are like, okay, I don't want to. Which is that. both dangerous and sexy. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly just sexy, yeah. though. Very yeah. sexy. Movie. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. So that was Silo. Then there's Shivers. Shivers, yeah. Shivers. About a kid that got um, fever <laughs> during the plague. <laughs> and every time really he got the Shivers, he'd go into like a trance and, yeah, do bad things. Cool. That's a, I mean, Shivers is a great film. It's David Cronenberg. Well, I think I just described it. Out. <laughs> I know. I was just agreeing with you. Yes, it was a great film. <laughs> uh, and then, okay, we have uh, classic monsters to round us off here. We have Terror of Frankenstein. Yep. This is like yep. the eighth installment in the Frankenstein series. Mm-hmm. The lesser known. <laughs> then there is two werewolf movies. There is The Werewolf of Woodstock. Ah, yeah, this is a hippie LSD movie. The guy goes to Woodstock, the bands are playing, he's having a good time, he gets naked, he drops some acid, holy shit, he's a wolf and he kills everyone. (laughs) I would definitely watch that. I would 100% watch that. And then long before there was Freddy vs. Jason, there was The Werewolf and the Yeti. Ah. I haven't seen yeah. that, but I really want to see it. <laughs> hard to differentiate between the two in a fight. <laughs> Just a lot of uh, happening. Uh, well, I imagine the, you, the Yeti would be white and the werewolf would be brown. Mm. Yeah. So, so were these okay. were these just the, the, Love the, the, these the notable horrors? statements about animals. Well, yeah, these are most of the ones that Wikipedia and Google was telling me were important and then just ones that were rife throughout. There weren't that many horror films that year, so there was a lot of them. Yeah, I just love the fact there's there's like three werewolf movies. There's Frankenstein, yep. there's Devil, there's a Tarantula, ghouls. there's Ghouls, and there's Seagulls. Yeah. Oh, well, the Seagulls. Seagulls the most. Mm-hmm. Always prevalent yeah. in the Terrifying. horror scene. 
Yeah, but that's kind of the point. I think it's very clear. Other than Shivers, which is a little a dawning of a new type, we're getting into a little bit of like some creatures, some bioterrorism, but most of it is classic old-fashioned spookies. Mm. It's all that sort of hammer style of horror. Yeah, yeah. So Jaws coming out of left field, I think that is, I think that's quite an important landscape for Jaws to be coming out in, you know, where this is going to seem very fresh. Yeah. Pause for dramatic effect. Directed, of course, by a man called Steven Spielberg. Many people know this as his first film. It's not. It's not even his first theatrical film, but hey. Written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb. We're going to get to Peter Benchley in a little second. Ali's been doing her homework and read the entire book, Jaws, just for this show. No red. DP'd by Bill Butler. He did Demon Seed. He did the Rocky sequels. He did Grease, Hot Shots, and most importantly, Beethoven's Second. Oh, yeah, wow. Music, of course, by John Williams. Who I always want to say the late John Williams, but no, he's still with us. <laughs> he was in Rise of Skywalker. Was Pretty he sure in Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> yeah. He was like on that planet where, I don't know. He was like one of the, bar, like a bartender or something. And he you gives, really, you're letting me down, Star Wars nerd. He gives you one job, like. Alex. <laughs> one fucking job. John Williams, who of course did the Poseidon Adventure at this point. He had done Tower Inferno. He's doing Superman, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T., Home Alone, JFK, Jurassic Park, Seven Front Ryan, Harry Potter, Seven Years in Tibet, which I think is really his crowning achievement. And starring Roy Scheider, who I always want to say Schneider. Yeah, yeah there should be an end yeah. there. Okay, we'll let him know. He, we'll he let was, his, he we can send him a letter. As Brody. He had already been in the French Connection at this point. He was going to be in like all that jazz. We've got Robert Shaw as Quint, who is in The Sting, is in From Russia with Love. We've got Richard Dreyfus as Hooper, who's in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He had just been in American Graffiti from George Lucas. We've got Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody, although I don't know if they ever say her name throughout this film. So I kept just writing, having to write down The Wife, <laughs> which I, was really weird to have to do. She would go on to be in 1941, which is uh, one of Spielberg's not great films. Murray Hamilton as Vaughn or the mayor. He's in The Graduate, also 1941, An Anatomy of a Murder. And Bruce as the shark. Bruce. Budgeted at $7 million, not adjusted for inflation. Box office, as Alex said, $470 million. Whoa. Tidy little uh, bit of change there. Return. Okay, we'll get to it at the end of the show. But yes, this movie did literally create the summer blockbuster. Peter Benchley brings out his book, Jaws. Now, before he does, there are articles about it coming out. So a couple of different producers, Richard Zanuck and David Brown at Universal, hear about it independently and then actually both go to get a copy of the book before it's published. And they both read it in one night. I love it. Take that alley. One night. Yeah, uh, too. <laughs> they love it. They immediately buy the option rights for the film in 1973 for $175,000, which nowadays would be about a million dollars. Tidy. The rights were bought. Peter says 150 in his book, but <laughs> yeah, sounds well. That's probably after the fees. Yeah, he, he was like, "I'm not saying you gave me that much." He did all right, and yeah, they were then noted as saying, "If they had taken the time to reread the book, they probably wouldn't have bought the option because they would have realized just how difficult it was going to be to do the things that were in the book." Now, to direct the movie, they first of all went to a veteran filmmaker, John Sturgis, whose resume included a maritime film called *The Old Man and the Sea*. And then they turned to Dick Richards, whose directorial debuted at Culpeper Cattle Co. Again, the fucking titles in the seven. Come on. <laughs> Put some effort in. Uh, <laughs> had come out a previous year. But there's a great story with this where like Richard kept giving them like, okay, so it's going to start like this. We're going to be underwater. The camera's going to come out of the water. We're going to see the beach. And then the whale's going to come out of the water. And he would keep referring to the shark <laughs> as the whale in all of their meetings. <laughs> And they fired him, basically, because they were really annoyed that the director didn't know the difference between a shark and a whale. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Meanwhile, Steven Spielberg really wanted the job. He had already worked with these producers on his first theatrical film, The Sugarland Express, which is the first film he did after Jewel, which we just covered a few weeks ago on the show in our Rope Suit Slasher series. Which is fun for me because I'm getting to follow Spielberg's career in a weird way here. So let's just do Jurassic Park next. I was about to say, you know what works great with sharks is dinosaurs. <laughs> sharks yeah, are true. sharks are in the book. They refer to the shark as a dinosaur. I mean, so yeah, I think it's, it's been around for hundreds of millions of years. Anyway, Zanuck and Brown, yeah, he had made uh, Sugarland Express for these producers. Yeah, and at the end of one of their meetings, Spielberg had noticed the copy of the unpublished Benchley novel. When he read it, he was immediately captivated. He did say when he read it, he was really cheering for the shark because he found all the characters so unlikable in the book. We'll get <laughs> right. to Ali's thoughts on that in a minute. And he later, though, observed that it was similar to the 1971 film Jewel. He was like, oh, this is basically me remaking my first movie. And he didn't necessarily want to do that. So he kind of then tried to push away from the project. It's like, I don't want to be known as the truck shark guy. But the producers basically said, look, you do this and you can do whatever movie you want to do. So, yeah, he actually wanted to go to a 20th Century Fox movie called Lucky Lady. But yeah, Universal convinced him. And I think actually they had a contract where they could veto his departure from the film. So they basically forced him to do Jaws. The film was given an estimated budget of $3.5 million to begin with and a shoot schedule of 55 days. And principal photography was going to begin May 1974. They wanted it finished by the end of June. But yeah, they went massively over, massively over schedule. So... Yeah, they went massively over schedule. And we're going to get to that, I think, probably in the, in the, at the end of this podcast of what that meant for the film, because they were meant to be a Christmas movie. And that in these days, in the 1970s, as hard as it might be to believe, that's when you released the blockbusters. Summer was the time where you dumped things, basically. You're like, this movie's shit. We'll just chuck it out. Well, it's kind of weird. I mean, at least three of us four are gamers. That's how the gaming industry has been for a long time. It's like you don't put out the big games in the summer because no one's going to play it because everyone's outside getting sunshine. And that's starting to change. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. not 2020. (laughs) But that's how it used to be with films. It was like, no, no, everyone's outside doing their stuff. No one wants to be inside in the cinema. So it Mm. was where it was the dumping ground for movies, basically, was the summer. But we'll get to that a little later. Ali. Hi. You have read said book. I've read the book, but it was a long time ago, and I have very few remembrances of it. Yep. How was your... Well, tell us some things. There's a few big differences, which I can touch on now, or I can touch on as we go through the movie. Do them as we go through. Okay. The edition that I had was a 30th edition book, 30th anniversary. So I got to get some extra commentary from Peter Benchley. There's the original handwritten list of different titles that they had come up with for Jaws. There's some funny ones that I think we could have. One in particular, some conversation about that his father gave him as options for the name. None of them really liked the name Jaws when they came up with it. And it was sort of a last resort name. He had come up with a bunch of different ones. He was out to lunch with an editor from the publishing company. They couldn't agree on anything. Whatever Peter liked, he didn't. Whatever he liked, Peter didn't like. The only word that was common throughout the ones that they did like was Jaws. Hmm. So they, he finally was like, let's just name it Jaws. And the editor <laughs> responded and said, fine, at least it's short. And then he called his dad, who's also a novelist, told his dad, the name's going to be Jaws. And he said, what does that mean? And he said, I don't know, but at least it's short. And then he (laughs) called his manager, who said the exact same thing when he said, we're going to call it Jaws. And she said, I don't know what that means. And he said, neither do I, but at least it's short. And that's why they went with Jaws. It's like a band name, right? Like there's so many band names that we actually look at them. You're like, what does this even mean? And it sounds really stupid. But once you hear it as a brand... Like with the product, it totally makes sense. Well, that's, that's what's fine. so weird is now it's such a huge pop culture reference that 
immediately everybody's like, yeah, obviously that would be about a shark. What were the other titles going to be? The other options. I'm glad you asked, Tom. (laughs) I'll give you Peter's options first. Some of the best ones because there's a lot in here. Some of the best ones were Dark Water, Dark White. What dark, dark White. Dark White. Mm-hmm. What have we mm-hmm. done? It was going to be called Great White. That's what was like the... Wait, wait, wait. Do you have one called What Have We Done? What Have We Done is a title option. Was there a question mark at the end of that? Yes, there is. Oh, I fucking love it. I love me some punctuation in a film title. Shimo is in a lot of the titles because Shimo is a town. Amity is a fictional town. Shimo is a real town out there that I think Peter spent a lot of his childhood in. So a lot of it is like Shimo Night, Death at Shimo, A Night in Shimo, The Visitor to Shimo, Shimo Rock. (laughs) Well, it's it's just interesting because, right, you have, going back to that list of horror movies from 1975, and you've got like, it's all like Death at an Old Mansion, Kiss of the Truncha, Legend of the Werewolf, Night of the Seagulls, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Race with the Devil, you know, like Terror of Rank, like all this stuff, and then you just have Jaws. It's true. You know, like you can see maybe how the temptation would have been to have like, you know, terror at Amityville Beach or whatever. Sorry, yeah. Amity Beach, not Amityville. Yeah. Getting my horrors confused. Need more verbs. Oh, I like that. I like that horror crossover though. Terror at Amityville yeah. Beach. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of his options, both one word, horror. That was a name option. Horror. And haunt. Wow. Haunt. Which don't make hunt. very much. Haunt. <laughs> H-A-U-N-T, not hunt. That oh, would make haunt. more sense it is haunt. than haunt. Oh, haunt. Yeah. Haunt makes no sense. It's I know. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. But like at no point in the movie do they reference the jaws of the shark, do they? Like they kind of talk about his, his bite diameter at one point, but you never yeah, actually But not the jaws the themselves jaws. really. Which, Two which other is like, options that I think are kind of funny. White evil. <laughs> and white menace. <laughs> I thought those were. This is the thing though, isn't it? Like, I love these moments in films. It's like you could make a film like spoilers. Jaws is a great movie, obviously, but <laughs> which we don't like to give our opinions till the end. But obviously it's Jaws we're talking about. We might have problems with it, but it's obviously an important classic great movie film. And it would still be that no matter what it's called and no matter when it came out. But if this film hadn't come out in summer, if this film hadn't been called Jaws, like if it had been called The White Menace, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> or how, Haunt. Yeah, and some of the other things we're going to talk to, just these little weird decisions with movies that could have destroyed it, like really mm-hmm. could have. Yeah. Well, this was also, it was Peter Benchley's first book and the manager and the editor both kept saying, like, these decisions don't really matter. No one's going to read your first book. And that was just something that he, ex- he was just like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like that was just accepted. Talk. So the last two that I will touch on are the two that his dad gave him jokingly. The first one is, what's that noshin on my leg? And it's spelled <laughs> the way I pronounced it. I love it. Love the accent. Wow. What's W-H-A apostrophe S leg is L-A-I-G. Noshin. We don't say is that the, enough. Is noshin. the book particularly comedic? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Pretty sour, um, if I remember correctly. <laughs> the second one is Kana Linga Here No Longa. <laughs> what? Dad. What Which was the dad smoking for? Really, hell? really confused me last night. <laughs> dad I was sat in bed really for like 60s. 20 minutes discussing just, just this with Sean. Kana Linga. Fuck it And Sean figured out, I mean, it's obviously a play on words. <laughs> But he figured out, based on how they spelled Longa, L-O-N-G-A, with Linga being L-I-N-G-A, he's assuming that that means linger here no longer. Mm. And that kana would either be 
gonna or couldn't. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh. couldn't linger here no longer or gonna linger here no longer. So I, I can see really, where they went with Jaws. Yeah, they're really yeah. pushing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in the book, it's, he says, my father contributed, what's that notion on my leg? And for the hardcore crowd, cunnilinga here no longer. Wow. But Ali, did you, I mean, like, you'll do the, uh, some of the changes then as we go through the film. But your overall impression, though, with the book, like, would you, did you enjoy it as a book? I did. Does it work? I remember reading Meg and... I'm sorry. Commenting on how sexist and racist it is, which this one has well, a she little... She has platinum blonde hair. Yeah, it's very important. Every woman, by the way, in the Meg series has platinum blonde hair. It's amazing. And this one has a little bit of that. It's nowhere near as bad as Meg is, but it's definitely didn't age well in that respect but i really enjoyed the book we'll get to the big changes that were made from book to screen as we go through but there's a pretty funny letter that is too long for me to read out loud but from peter benchley to david the producer with his comments on one of the drafts of the script and he had a lot of commentary (laughs) lots of thoughts yeah i mean we'll get to it he was chucked off of set (laughs) were the he's in the movie yeah, he is, isn't he? Mm. Were the characters as unlikable to you as the producers felt they were? I definitely see what they mean. That leads into one of the big differences. Something that happens in the book that doesn't happen in the movie. They're not totally... Like, Brody is not totally unlikable. A lot of people are. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's... I don't think they're, like, abhorrent. I wasn't super thrown by it. Whereas the shark is a charmer. Before then we get into the film, I know we're a little long on our intro, but again, we always are on the first episode of a new franchise. And it's important to know why we're doing Jaws. The reason we're doing Jaws is because Ali has been asking to do this one for quite a little while. We normally straight away from it because, yeah, I just can't be fucked to put in the effort to look up the trivia of big films like this. And with Jaws, I'll admit, in my head, I was like, I feel like I know exactly how I feel about all of these films. So I don't know how exciting it's going to be for me to go back to them. However, yesterday, Ali dropped a huge fucking like reveal on me <laughs> which is that okay because tom i presume you've seen all the jaws movies at some point in your life i don't know if i've seen the fourth one. Oh wow okay mm. alex i have seen them all ali who is you know the big champion of this loves the first one big shark aficionado she's never seen more than the first jaws movie mm. well that's so, what I, I was trying to express the reason i wanted to do this one so badly is because i love sharks not because I've seen the entire franchise and I'm a huge fan. I am a yep. huge fan of the first one, but for whatever reason, that's the only one I've ever seen. So I'm excited to get into the other ones. But yeah, like you said, you are, whenever we do, we do this weird little festival thing at my house each year, and sometimes we'll show a shark movie in that. And we always give Ali a platform to, not a literal platform, an emotional platform I to stand up short, in front of people. So. Uh, and basically read out some facts for people about sharks before they watch the movie because we always want to stipulate this is a monster movie this is not a nature movie sharks are most people's friends (laughs) shark attacks are incredibly rare other than when they're very incited ali you are going to throughout this franchise constantly have a platform whenever you want to to give a little don't go on too long please for the love of god (laughs) but (laughs) to give a little morsel if you need to ever to help educate people on how sharks are not things to be afraid of Well, so I have made my list of facts and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to give three facts each episode and they'll be separated into categories. Love it. Love categories. But there's going to be attack facts, 
fun facts and conservation facts because I think love all three it. are important. I absolutely love it. Can For I can I are, can, um, can I counterbalance those with like three real life horror stories of people <laughs> who have been mauled? Well, that's the attack severely. fact. That's the attack fact. Yeah, but okay. I just assumed your attack facts were going to be. There's actually only like one percent. No, no, no. I'm going to attack. Okay. It's, it's the gory truth. I'm giving honest <laughs> and fair okay. a range of different types of facts. Okay. Because I'd be like, this guy lost his head and his arm. Have some faith in I mean, facts, yeah. Tom. Do you want me to are get you going to sprinkle these now? throughout or are you going to do them right now? I can do them now just to not yes, interrupt our flow once we go through sure, the story. Sure, just do it. Just knock them out. I know I said I'm going to give three. I'm actually going to give four because I'm going to do two oh, fun facts, one attack fact podcast. and one conservation fact. Because conservation and attack are both sad, so we need to balance that with two fun. So two sad, two fun. Do it. Great. First, we'll start with attack fact. Jump, the, jump, jump. So the safest people in the water are actually snorkelers. So in 2014, they did a study and surfers and other board sports account for 65% of shark attack victims because they look the most like prey, their silhouettes. Swimmers and waders were 32% and snorkelers were only 3%. So for people who avoid snorkeling because you're worried about sharks, you're actually better off doing that than hmm. paddleboarding. Was there any reasoning behind that? Why are snorkels? They just don't like snorkels. They're less likely to confuse them for prey. Interesting. Yeah, I have a lot of friends back in Australia that spearfish, which is you just free dive with your little spear gun and talk about many encounters of just... Yeah, a shark would swim past me or, you know, yeah. we saw a bunch of shark and I'm like, nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I surf instead and do the most dangerous one. <laughs> They're going to confuse you for a seal or a sea turtle. All right. Now we'll go to fun facts. The first fun fact is you can track sharks online. Different sharks that have been tagged. Some of them That's have social cool. media accounts. So a lot of like hobby beachgoers or surfers will track the sh tiger sharks in Hawaii to see if there's many close to the beach and where That's they are. And there's good. also just from a social media standpoint, there's one very popular great white named Mary Lee, who has over 120,000 followers on Twitter. It's too many. Do you have a favorite social media shark? I haven't gone too deep into the social media sharks, I will say. No pun intended. Do they do a lot of pouting? A lot of what? A lot of pouting. Yep. Just a lot of smiling with a lot of Big influence. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Second fun fact is that since we are watching Jaws, it's great white focused. Great whites in short bursts can swim up to 35 miles per hour. I wow. don't know that in kilometers for Show -offs. the other <laughs> people on this podcast. And lastly, conservation fact, great whites have very little chance of surviving in captivity. Most survive only two to three days and typically they refuse to eat. A lot of the time they need help swimming after being in captivity for a day or two. And in Japan, there were a couple instances where the great whites started like ramming their heads against the walls of the aquarium. Oh, that's fucked up. The few that do survive longer than two to three days are just extremely sick the entire time. And they've tried doing it with like really, really young sharks, both because they're really small and they haven't adapted necessarily to being in the open ocean yet. And even then, I don't think they've, I think the longest they've ever had a baby shark survive is 160 days. So. Very tragic. Yep. I have a, uh, I have a really, another shark fact that's of interest only to me and other Irish people. There has only ever been, well, I've looked this up because I was interested. There's only ever been one fatal shark attack in Ireland. 
Oh, really? Yep, and it was from 1917, and it was from a ship that got, tor- I guess in the war, that got torpedoed and sunk off the coast of Ireland, and I guess a guy got eaten, but the site, which was like sharkattacks.com or whatever, had it like referenced as, you can like filter attacks by provoked or unprovoked, and this was provoked. So I don't know what he was doing in the water, huh. but apparently, apparently <laughs> he's like, he got, come on. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, he was like, yeah, doing something because he got he got killed. So yeah, just one, one Irish shark attack. There you are. We all learned something. Thank you. That was uh, great, Ali. Facts. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, very quickly. I don't know if any of you have a quick story with it, but like for me, the, my history with Jaws is very particular. Like I was three years old when I first saw Jaws. My babysitter was watching it and was too scared to watch it alone. So brought me downstairs to watch it with him, <laughs> which was not a good thing to do. And it broke my brain. Like it instilled in me something still to this day where I can't get into the ocean. And the thing is, after once I could read and have a bit more of a cogent thought, I was, because of that film, obsessed with sharks and obsessed with the ocean. And I bought every book, well, I didn't buy. My parents bought me every book I could. I read everything I could. I watched all the documentaries on it. And very quickly realized, yes, okay, I shouldn't be scared of sharks. And even great whites, most of the time, are incredibly docile. Actually, the most dangerous shark, Ali, correct me if I'm wrong, is the tiger shark, isn't it? Like, yeah. much more than the great The ones white. that have been recorded to attack humans are great whites, tigers, and bull. Bull sharks yeah. are really, really dangerous. Well, yeah, bull. Yeah, and I read like all stuff and like became very entrenched in it and very much felt that it wasn't something that I needed to be scared of, but it was too ingrained in me already at that point. So, and that still carries on to this day, which is like really frustrating. Well, and that's something, Al, that you've always fought me on. And I think you're right is that I. I used to come at this from the extreme standpoint of just being like, no, they would never attack humans. They're so nice and would tout that they were these really docile, kind creatures. And you would kind of jump in and say, no, it's okay to like acknowledge that they're dangerous. You need to, speaking of provoked and unprovoked, don't just go into the ocean and start poking at one. Like you need to understand their behavior <laughs> if you're going to be yeah. going free diving with them. It's so about it's, respect. Yeah, Absolutely. it's important like People to love know. dogs, but some dogs bite your fucking face off if right. you're in a certain situation. You need to understand you know, just, behavior and signs. Everything is an animal. And yeah, I think we have to like respect them. Uh, yeah, I mean, a big thing for me was like a bunch about 10 years ago, there was a Shark Week thing that the UK tried to do, which America obviously does the big like Shark Week, be scared, everything's nasty. And it's all like, that's one of the reasons where they still have this like, right. I think image They're exclusively in showing attack videos. Exactly. Whereas in England, they did it. And I don't know if you remember this, Tom, or if you watched this, but they did it for like two weeks where they had some people down in this boat in a great white place and they're trying to lure these great whites in basically. And you tune in live every single day to see it happening. And it was embarrassing because every day they're like, they're like, oh yeah, we can see down there. The great whites have come. They look a little frightened. So they're not coming up to the cage and the chum just yet. And then the next day it was like the same. Oh, they got a little close. Oh, this one's coming in. Is he going to attack? Oh no, he's got scared. He's gone away again. And it went <laughs> for like two weeks. Like the great whites were too scared to even interact like in any it's way. It's very British, isn't it? Real, it's this very yeah. polite shark. So yeah, no, no, sorry, just To be fair to Discovery Channel here, yes, it is sort of, I mean, like, as all television is here, it's sensationalized and, and yeah. made for entertainment. But they do show a lot of conservation type of programming during Shark Week. Yeah, I think they've gotten yeah. better and, and at that. And do try to dispel that myth of this is a man-eater. Yes. Yeah. It's and we should address pretty. now quickly, like Peter Benchley basically spent the rest of his life trying to make amends for Jaws. He yep. spent the rest of his life going to universities and trying to lecture to say, like, this is... I was incorrect and these are monsters and yeah you know there's a quote in the book of him saying that he after knowing what he knows now he would never make this movie or write this book 
Like yeah, it's funny, man. I, I remember like growing up, kind of like you. Y'all, you know, I had so many friends in school that would say they are terrified of sharks, like have shark phobias. You had never, you know, we grew up in a coastal town, but there's no, there's no sharks anywhere near Ireland apart from 1917. I think you find there's like, one fatal attack. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> I always find it really interesting when people were like, oh, I'm terrified of sharks. Like, but you've never encountered a shark. You probably never will encounter a shark. But yet it was all from Jaws. It was all like us as kids watching that movie and just being absolutely terrified by it. Yep. Which again, I think it's so fun. A movies, this is a monster movie. I fucking love me a monster movie. So let's get into it, shall we? Okay. We're going to start this movie with the sound of dolphins, seals. I don't know what these sounds are. Yeah. It could be dolphins or whales communicating or just okay. like radar. And then the music's going to come in. So, of course, I think it was awarded by the Musical Institute of whatever, like the big, like the seventh greatest piece of like music ever written or something. Obviously, immediately more identifiable, I think, than Star Wars or anything because you only have to get two notes in. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I love yeah. I, I forgot that it just start the theme starts right away that we open mm. with that. It's so good. So this, John Williams, this was the film, you know, that really made his career. And then obviously he kept working with Steven Spielberg and went off to work with other people. But he first gave Spielberg this music and Spielberg literally laughed in his face <laughs> and was like, okay, but where's the real score? That's hilarious. And again, another one of those things, if they hadn't had the faith to go, no, you know what, let's be brave and let's go with it's this. It's funny, like, it's so perfect. It works so well. Yeah. It really is, isn't it? And the thing is, like with that theme now is... You could say to anyone that has never seen these films, you could just say shark and they would probably get start going dun, 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 dun. Right. It's yep. like, it's so ingrained. That's because of the movie Swingers. <laughs> <laughs> or The Holiday. No. When Jack Black Nobody. sings it. Yeah, yes. shut up. Stop yes. talking about the fucking holiday. <laughs> We're underwater straight away as the titles come up. It starts really quiet, doesn't it? Because I like boosted my sound up and then suddenly it came in like loud. Yep, I did the same like, thing. Oh, yeah, and we're going to cut straight in to some kids hanging out on the beach, playing harmonica, playing guitar, getting high, Having a bonfire, man. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I noticed in this? Because I, I sat down, I took, stuck on Jaws, and I had a little notepad out because I knew we were doing this. And I was like, my first note was, and this is maybe for later, but it's like, is Jaws a horror movie? Because we can discuss that later. But like, and then I turned it on and I had been a long time since I seen this. And all of a sudden it's like, it's so horror. You've got like, you literally start with the POV of the shark. Yeah. You know, classic mm -hmm. horror stuff going through. And then Costa teenagers having fun, drinking, mm -hmm. classic horror stuff. To the point where then, I don't know how to jump ahead all, but one runs off and you even get a bit of nudity. It's like, yeah. this, is, this is as horror as it gets, especially for that I just time. I just listened to a whole show with her dissecting how Jaws was, because, you know, we've done it in our slasher retrospectives, where slashes came from, and obviously there's a long heritage and it's complicated like everything. That's not like a film, you know, to start something. But American slashes didn't really start till Black Christmas and Halloween, which was four years after this, and yeah. how Jaws actually created the brackets of, of, at least in the first two acts, of how slasher films were going to be, exactly like you're mm -hmm. saying. Like you, you have a lot of POV for the killer. You start off with some teenagers hanging out and doing illicit things. One of them gets killed. You bring in the cops. Mm -hmm. uh, like it's, I think it's quite amazing how it is kind of a slasher film for the first two acts. Yep. Yeah, so they are hanging out. They're all having fun. One guy is staring at a girl like a fucking maniac. I love this. <laughs> She's staring so back like a maniac. Yeah, yeah, but women get to stare like sexy maniacs. Men just look like they're going to murder somebody. Sipping from his cup. I mean, what that's was he drinking? Was he like, did he have a cup of coffee or something? It's like, he was just staring at her. She likes it. Um, and she's sitting next to a trash can of smoke. So she knows. 
<laughs> like, hey, maybe maybe that was his plan. Maybe he was a psycho killer and he was chasing after to kind of, you know. <laughs> that would be a great film. Like someone who's a psycho killer, but they're just always too drunk to operate fully. <laughs> and then a shark kills them instead. Yeah. Always being outdone. Um, well, he survives because he's he's too drunk. So yeah. there's a good moral here. Yeah. <laughs> Drink. The, the best bit here <laughs> is once they, the when they start running off and she's running and she's undressing and he's like, I'm not drunk, slow down. <laughs> I love it. It was also inside because he goes over to talk to her and we don't hear what he's saying, but his opening line is either so good or so bad mm. that she's like, I'm going to run away from you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't know if this is just the 70s or if this still happens nowadays, but I've never, ever had a story from any of my friends. It's like, yeah, I talked to a woman and she just ran away and started undressing immediately. It's <laughs> the hey, time, man. It's the time. 70s. Yeah, we do. We get some boobs, but just contextual boobs. So, And then he's too drunk to get fully naked. So she just goes deep into the water. I mean, she's going fucking way out. Yep. This she isn't flirty, flirty, splashy, no. splashy. This is like... She's here to swim. I want to drown She's showing you, off. She's showing off her skills to the drunk guy. <laughs> she went down and she was like, also a, like a really good synchronized swimmer. She does that yeah. really like that silly leg up. Oh, and yeah, then just yeah, slowly yeah. <laughs> like oh, yeah. dives down. Yep. Yeah, and the sun, by the way, if you're looking for continuity in a low budget, like for, the sun's all over the place. And it's like, I'm <laughs> yeah. always like, what time of day is this? Because it keeps jumping in every shot. But it's such a good mood straight away. And I love the stuff Spielberg's immediately doing with the camera, like having these wides and then you're in the water with her, you know, like really up mm -hmm. close, like bobbing around. And he said he did a lot of this film, not on tripod, because the water was going to mean the horizon was always fucked. So he was like, let's just go handheld for almost everything that's in the water. And I think it definitely helps get you in that mood. You know, mm -hmm. you feel like you're there. And then we get the classic shot, well, one of them, as the camera's yeah. approaching her from underneath, which Katie turned to me and was like, wow, you see all the bush. <laughs> <laughs> yep and then she gets dragged about as we have yes the classic opening of jaws with the screaming has been mocked and mimicked and going, uh, homaged many times as her drunk dude is just chilling out passed out as the tide comes the water in. washing over him <laughs> so that is chomp one chomp one chomp count glad to have the kill count back these sounds, by the way, of her in the water here, the way they did it is they took this actress, they hung her upside down, and then they just poured water down her throat, which I think is called waterboarding. Yeah. <laughs> upside down, yeah. though, not on her back? Uh, upside down, I'm pretty yes, sure, upside yeah. Upside down is a little better, but still, that's like terrifying. I mean, I think she knew about it. I don't think they just, like, she woke up. No, I <laughs> <laughs> that's still terrifying. <laughs> And yeah, we have to say it now because I don't, I mean, these are things that I just feel like are so historically important in cinema. But yeah, the big thing here is this wasn't meant to be like this, as I'm sure all of you know, at least, but maybe some of our listeners don't know. The shark was meant to be a big part of this movie and you were meant to see it all throughout this movie. You're meant to see it right at the beginning of this first scene. The shark was meant to jump out of the water with her in its jaws. They built three sharks that all ended up being called Bruce which was after Spielberg's accountant at the time because he kept turning to him and saying, you can't keep spending money on these fucking sharks. They spent about <laughs> a quarter of a million on each shark, essentially. And for whatever reason, they wow. never tested them in water. So when they built them <laughs> and then they took them out to Martha's Vineyard when they were shooting it, they just sank. That's hilarious. And they had to get like divers out to bring the main shark back up. And yeah, Spielberg thought that the movie was in a wreck. He thought, we're done. Like, we're not going to get to see the shark. All these scenes are fucked. And they had to improvise and figure it out and do things a different way. And look, obviously Spielberg's a great director. Jewel proved he was a great director. That film that I've already forgotten the name of that he did just before this, people seem to like. He was going to have a career. 
clearly, but would have it have exploded in the same way if this wasn't called Jaws, if it wasn't released in summer, if the music wasn't there, and if he'd had what he wanted and actually yeah. seen the shark. And this is one of the things that they teach you in film school, which is like, look at a film like this, look how good Jaws is, because something that seems so integral got fucked up and they found out a way to make the movie better because of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important lesson for filmmakers to learn. If you think something's not going your way, micro opportunity to make it better. Because this scene's still fantastic. I mean, mm. ridiculous, because you think about what's happening under the water and it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. But really cool. So, yeah, and she just really sells it. I think she's great. Yeah, she's yes. awesome. That moment when she gets pulled under and then it just goes Her quiet. first gasp is really good, yeah, too, when she before she starts up. screaming. Mm. Yeah. yeah, just the way that whole thing is played out. It's, it's so cool. And it's funny you say that out, like how they adapted, because, you know, you could say that that's, I guess, a staple of horror films now is that, how long can you prolong the sort of reveal of the monster or the villain? And like, that seems so integral in, in building tension. And I love just how, how they do it here. Like when you think of where, how long into the film before we actually see anything of the shark, it's like, it's really cool. Yeah. And then it's going to move pretty quick. We're going to next morning, we're being introduced to Sheriff Brody. who's complaining about why the sun suddenly has started shining through his windows. And we get, it's good contextual dialogue, which I'm really appreciating now that I'm taking notes. I'm like, okay, we're oh, learning yeah. when they moved there, how long they've been in this town, but without them having to like, be too blunt about it. Yeah, you get a lot of that throughout. Like That really stood out to me this time. It's just how they, yeah, the contextual stuff, how they just slip it into the dialogue that it doesn't become expositional and you just get all this information really quickly. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's really smart. There's a big thing about this movie, which I only noticed on this viewing, which I'm excited to get to later. Which, which... Oh, I'm, I've got one of those as well. Okay. I'm intrigued. Uh, I wonder if it's the same thing. Yeah. Nice vibe with him and his wife. This all feels very natural. Apparently, a lot of these scenes, like many of the scenes in the film, they would only figure out the script really. Like, I mean, they did a lot of honing on it, you know, obviously in lots of, lots of drafts, but they were still sorting stuff out the night before almost every single scene. So you'd have the actors in these round tables hanging out, having dinner, talking about the next day, and then the actors would come up with stuff. So a lot of it would be script that the actors had come up with the night before even. That's and that's why it just feels really natural. Yeah. So natural. Yeah, Bethany and I were watching it in... Even like right now, we're already like, this film still looks great and it's incredibly natural, their performances. Yeah. And they've got a kid. Um, cool, and then, got two well, yeah, they've got two kids. Up. That's true. They've got two kids. And then Brody gets rung up and yeah, gets told that something's happened. I and mean, we're right in it. Like we're going to go like straight into it, but he doesn't know yet just how bad things are. There's no music in this section, which I think is really cool. It's like testament to why it still feels relaxed, even though it's mm. yeah, moving at a pretty quick pace. So he's driving his car, which has like, that's the first time then we see the sheriff sign or whatever it is on it. Was it the, uh, is it sheriff? Yeah, it's like Amity PD. Yeah. So again, great contextual storytelling. So we understand like gradually what his world is and who he is and how long they've been there, what his family is. And then he drives past the signpost for Amityville Island. Amity Island. Amity Island, sorry. Amityville. (laughs) 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 I mean, that'd be cool. Hit a crossover universe. That would go in with why it's called Haunt. There you yeah. go. That was one of the options. That's well, as why. you know, Al, Amity means friendship. <laughs> it does mean friendship. <laughs> as we find out later. So yeah, he's with the guy, the drunk dude from the night before and they're heading out on the beach and he's like, yeah, I think this, this chick must have drowned. And it's like, hey, at least I called you. <laughs> and yeah, this is where he's going to like reinstate that he's from New York City. And then his whistle blows and there's a cop who's found her buried in the sand, like washed up, just her hand sticking out. And this cop really like, again, I, there's a lot of stuff in this film where I'm really appreciating this time how it's, the actors like really sell it as like how traumatized they look by the things that yeah. they're seeing. Yeah. 
Actually, just to rewind a bit, there's a little tiny detail, which I really loved when he gets to the beach and he stumbles down as he goes onto the, onto the sand. And for me, it's like, that's such a minor detail, but it, again, it contextualizes that he's from the city. Like he's come to, to this place. Yeah. And it's yeah, just, that's uh, true. It's such a nice little moment. Yeah, they appear over. We get the hand. They say, so Spielberg has claimed that they had a fake hand that came out here and he didn't like it. So they actually buried a female in the sand <laughs> to get a hand sticking out. But like, when I was watching, I was like, this really looks like a fake hand. It to looks me. pretty fake. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe Spielberg's. they didn't use the shot. This is pretty gnarly. I, I totally forgot that that was in there. I just thought, I wasn't expecting that sort of like, you know, that level of, that's not gore, but you know, the crabs hanging off it and stuff. It was more sort of gnarly than I was expecting. Yeah. That's that I remembered. Which again, like you're saying, like it feels like a slasher film, like it really does. Yeah, especially for that point in the movie. I mean, I get later on when you have the, you have to have the big climactic deaths and stuff, but at that point so early in the film, you've got this real sort of nasty, horror-y form yeah. sort of set with like stuff crawling around. It's very typical horror. So yeah, then he heads back to the police station, very small town. They're really hammering at home. This is small town America. Yeah, I love that he's, you know, we're in the area where he's doing his report on a typewriter. Lots of old people everywhere. Yeah. Or at a town full of old coots. <laughs> you got his secretary who's like, that's the karate school. The nine-year-olds are karateing the picket the fence. fences. <laughs> yeah, and it's great because you're going to get all this dialogue that's been saying, but we're in his head as he's just focusing on his typewriter and writes down. The report from the coroner is shark attack. And we're going to get a real taste just for how, yeah, the small town problems here are. Like everyone who's coming to him with the problem, they're all just like these rescue my cat from up a tree, basically, problems. Yeah. As he's beginning to twig, hang on, there's a bigger problem here. So he goes to buy some bits to make signs immediately to say that the beaches are closed. And then he's told some kids are doing a swim. So he's going to drive out to meet them. And the mayor here is introduced as he's being told about the situation. And there's just all this contextual stuff about the town that makes it feel amazing. There's like a fucking huge parade happening with these kids like all around and stuff. And obviously, I mean, this movie doesn't have the money for this amount of extras. Like it's insane the amount of extras in this movie. Like it must have been different laws in these times of like what you could do with just having real people in the background and stuff. I don't know. It's crazy. Like there's just so many people and it makes this feel like a breathing town. Yeah. Which I think a lot of horror films. Yeah. You don't, you know, they're going out to the quiet streets when they don't mm. have to like pay anybody. I mean, uh, don't you remember the uh, pageant parade in uh, I know what you did last summer. <laughs> I do remember the pageant parade. <laughs> Similar vibes. <laughs> The mayor, yeah, I love this one. Brody's going on one of the, uh, what they, like the car ferries. And the mayor's like, with his lackeys, just drive on to the car ferry. Does he drive on? Or is the car Yeah, he on? does drive, drive on. on. Because yeah. it's funny, on. I didn't realize that that's what it was. And then he drives on and all the mayor and all these cronies come out and then it starts moving. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, they're all trapped on there together. And then just when it gets to the other side, it's like, we can go back now. <laughs> I hadn't noticed actually that, that it's all one shot. Like the camera's set up there and they sit in there and then the car comes in, like they get off and they come up set up and they all sit and have their camera. Like as the guy sure, goes yeah. and starts actually driving the ferry, you driving. know, like the whole thing That's is true. all done in one take. It's really, I hadn't noticed that before. And it's really nice because there's always this problem when you have these scenes in films. It's like you got to have these people talking and having this thing. And if they're just standing in a room, it's always really boring. And it, yeah, it's just so nice to know like, no, Brody's on his journey still. And they're just kind of like catching up yeah. with him. And you get the, and scene, have, the scene changes behind you as the actors stay yeah. where they are. Yeah, it's fucking cool. Love it. Yeah, they brought the coroner who now clearly has been paid off by the mayor to say, oh, actually, it could be a boating accident. It's not a... 
I'm just de- definitely a shock attack. Sorry, but has, did anybody else? I know it's like maybe you don't want to talk about it, but did anybody else notice the real the coronavirus parallels in Jaws? Yes. Well, yeah. we, we didn't mention the beginning, that. but that was like, one of our deciding factors in oh, doing this. Man, like, especially like, to the to your point, like paying off, like paying off is you know, like here's the medical expert who's saying what he needs to say in order, you know, like yeah, uh, yeah, that was one of the reasons. That was like the extra push I needed to do Jaws was when I can't remember who it was it was either Alex or Ali like we're mentioning Alex no, it brought Tom. it up but yeah I think it was Tom that brought up the parallels in the oh was it yeah oh okay apologies which is because there have been that meme doing the rounds of like the mayor you know yeah, especially yeah, yeah. like oh, let's reopen the beaches damn it yeah <laughs> and for people listening if you're listening in the future then congratulations you made it we're still in in the middle of the I mean the future climate. might be the same we might still be here well still, they made it to the future yeah, so we maybe that's did. some sort, yeah, that's yeah, some sort yeah. of victory. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, then we're gonna hang out on the beach. Can uh, I firstly int- draw attention to the mayor is wearing a suit that's covered in tiny little anchors? Yeah, <laughs> yes. very preppy. <laughs> it's like wow. Like, as is, was that a considered choice? Like, <laughs> I love this man. Like he's really weighed do. down by the weight of decisions that he has to make <laughs> regarding this public safety. What I like about this mayor is when you see him ripped off in so many other films, like he becomes totally cartoonish. Whereas in this, like he's infuriating, but it's also like, no, I I believe this character, you know, (laughs) I believe the decisions that you're doing. And he does break down, obviously, at one point. Yeah, so we're hanging out on the beach. We're introduced to Alex and his mother, who's got a yellow hat, so you can be able to pick her out, which is suspicious. (laughs) Introduced to them. And she says, don't worry, you can have 10 more minutes out in the water. Brody's watching it. Okay, so why is Brody, Brody knows, or he still thinks there was a shark attack. He doesn't, but he's at the beach. I think he's at the beach and he has his guys at the beach to keep watch because he doesn't trust that it's not going to happen again. And in the previous scene before the mayor's thing, he had been told there were some kids doing a swim contest or something, which is not them where he is. So I am confused what happens with that story. Because he seems to be heading to check on those kids or to tell them to get out of the water or something. Yeah, because then he's on the beach with his family. Yeah, yeah. So we've got all the families and they're trying to talk to him and stuff. And we're going to basically, again, there's no music here, which is great. So we get this long scene of like tension build as they're going to throw all this different stuff at us. There's a kid throwing a stick for his dog. There's a couple in the water goofing around. There's someone floating. On I a love that. I love like all these little setups. Yeah. Just, like, like which one's going to be? And then all their kids decide to go and get into the water. And then, yeah, the dog goes missing, which is great build. Get to Pippin. see just a floating stick. Pippin. Alex, is that a confirmed chomp or because we don't see it? You're not counting it. <laughs> not counting it. <laughs> Do we never see the dog again? I, I totally forgot. So that we, the dog disappears no. and we never see it again. Yep. Um, uh, see, like this is before the cardinal rule of horror movies where you don't kill the dog. No, no. <laughs> Everybody knows you don't kill the dog. Like, was it like Independence Day? Like the dog has to live, you know? We just got a, when we did VHS, there was one film where yeah, the dog definitely dies in it and it was quite shocking. <laughs> it was heartbreaking. <laughs> Loved it. But it was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And then this is the thing. We're doing this great build and this is the interesting decision because in these first two acts, we are going to keep getting the shark's POV, which we do not get when we get to the third act, but we'll get there. But we're going to go, yeah, back to underwater with the music and we're in the shark's POV of like seeing all these people's feet and all the kids like playing around. So we know <laughs> something's going to happen now. Like up until this point, it's been like, is something happen? Is it not going to happen? Could just come out of nowhere. Now it's like, no, it's definitely something's going to happen. It goes, of course, for the Lilo, which is pretty accurate. And we get this great shot from afar of these huge fins just like oh, flip. That's so good. It's really good. Out of the water. I don't know if you guys ever saw, there was an Australian surfer a couple of years ago 
called Mick Fanning, who was in a surfing competition in South Africa. And he was out in the water waiting for the next sort of set to come through and was attacked by a shark and it was all filmed. And it was a similar thing like that where you see see like a fin and a tail just like flip up and then him like falling over. Pretty fucking gnarly. (laughs) It's crazy. You see him like turn around. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and then he swam back to shore. And he, yeah, he punches it and then then made it back to shore. This kid does not make it. (laughs) (laughs) Chomp to little Alex. And this is where we get the push and pull shot, which is synonymous now with Jaws. It was first done actually with Hitchcock with Vertigo. So this wasn't like the first time it was used, but obviously an excellent usage of the shot. The shot of the wide of the kid being taken is pretty gruesome. It's like a, oh, when it's a just like fountain blood of yeah, blood yeah, and ocean yeah. water. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, that was fucking insane. So all the kids get pulled into shore and then we have this genuinely heartbreaking moment as the yellow hat lady's just standing there and she can't find her kid. Alex? Yeah. It's really Alex. sad. <laughs> oh, and then when the thing washes in and it's like chomped and it's just blood-stained uh, water. Oh, yeah. my God. And we're going to cut, again, we're moving pretty quick. We're cutting straight into a $3,000 bounty for the shark. It's being posted. We're going to learn that Brody's against it, but the mother's posted it. There's nothing they can do about it. So, uh, so I'm sorry, Al, wait up. Ali, so, so far, are we accurate to the book? Like, is they, are they the first two deaths in the book? Like, little kid on a lilo? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yep. Okay. That pause was her accessing her brain for information. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Opening my <Okay>. file cabinets <laughs> inside my head. <laughs> Yeah, so Brody explains, look, we're planning to put out extra deputies. We're going to use shark spotters. And then they're like, yeah, but are you going to close the beaches? And like, yeah, we're going to close the beaches. I'm going to bring in some oceanographic. Oceanographic? Oceanographic? Is that a word? Oceanographic. Oh, is, that, is that right? Ocean Oceanographers. Guys. Ocean dudes <laughs> from the mainland. And then the mayor's like, it's only for 24 hours. He's like, I don't agree to that. And then they've got this great, like, 24 hours is like three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> And again, you know, what we were talking about before, parallels with sort of COVID hysteria and different perspectives and what people are willing to sacrifice and not willing to sacrifice. Like, I have to go to the beach. (laughs) Well, it's also like the room is just filled with a lot of local business owners who are worried that their summer, they really hammer this home in the book that this town survives off of summer. Like they don't get any tourists. They don't make money in the winter. So if they don't have tourists come through in the summer, everybody goes on welfare. Like they don't survive. Well, and, and also, you're all fine to stay on the beach. Like here's the thing with the shark movie: just don't go in the water. Mm. It's very simple. Yeah, like it's really yeah. very simple. Well, at least these guys get to go and hang out in the beach. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was watching those beach scenes in the early part of the movie, just going, "Oh man, like look at those guys just out, <laughs> lucky, being, being beside each on other, the sand, all like touching each sand. other and Not stuff." Not having you to know. exercise. Just being out in fresh air and yeah, being in contact. Ugh, yeah. And then they're giving all, and then and then they're complaining for twenty four. Oh, we have to close for twenty four hours. Like twenty four hours. Like come on, guys. Fuck's sake. Try three months. Well, that's even when fuck's they do, when they are on the beach and the mayor starts complaining that people aren't in the water. <laughs> I was like, what? Like this is I the know. best of both worlds. They're all here spending money at your restaurants and they're not and going in the water. Mm-hmm. But this is where we're going to get the introduction of another of our trio of male egos, which is Quint, Screech of Nails. On a badass. Oh, I hate that part. <laughs> what a, what, it's, you what can't a bad motherfucker. <laughs> it's so funny. And he's just sitting there fucking chomping on something and he's already <laughs> drawn. No one noticed. He like crept yeah. in and drew a picture of a shark <laughs> with, with a, a stick man in the mouth. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, what a fucking character. One introduction. He's like, I'll kill the shark for $10,000. <laughs> uh, and he's got a strange little lackey with him in an orange yeah, hat. So so I love, we never see it again. Yeah, I love his little mate just standing there. <laughs> I didn't notice him. Is there a mate I there? didn't notice him either. Uh, he's he standing by the door. And he looks like he's been. He looks like he's the gimp from Pulp Fiction. He looks like he lives in a box in that <laughs> boat for the majority of the movie. I was like in this scene because I was so like taken by the whole like COVID parallels. When Quint shows up, I was like, "Where's the fucking Corona, Quint? Like, where's who's gonna show up and go? I'll fucking kill it for five grand. But That's give me the what full Trump thinks he's doing. Trump thinks he's Quint. You know, like it's yeah, like just drink it. some Lysol, you'll be fine. <laughs> Oh, he does. Yeah, we'll get to it when we get later on. When we get when we get all the characters assembled, the Avengers I would love. Yeah, yeah, maybe next time there's a big like UN World Health Organization <laughs> Corona meeting with world leaders. Just turn up and just scratch a board. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just like I'll get rid of that for you. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Yeah, this wasn't how Quint was originally going to be introduced. They were originally going to introduce Quint in a Moby theater watching Moby Dick while laughing his head off. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> how was he introduced in the book, Ali? He's not introduced until later, and they pursue him. He does not come up to offer his oh, services. Right. Oh. So they hire Ben Gardner first to go do it. And that's, oh, that's, ben whose, Gardner. that's whose boat they find. So they actually oh. hire Ben to go kill the fish. And they eventually realize they aren't able to radio him. They're trying to get a hold of him. And that they see the boat sense. out. And so yeah. they then go find that. It's because cool that they included that Because we don't meet Ben at all in this film, right? It's just they find his ship and yeah. a boat. And they're like, it's we just his see boat. his head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just see his bloated head. That's interesting. Because I did notice this time watching it. It's like, because you see Quint there. And then he just disappears for like 45 minutes or an hour of the yeah. movie. Mm. Which I thought it was interesting. Well, you see him in the background every now and then, don't you? Yeah, on the yeah. boat, just like yeah, laughing, laughing at people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just with a portable chalkboard, just constantly. <laughs> yeah, and the only reason, by the way, they didn't introduce him the way that Spielberg wanted watching Moby Dick was because they couldn't get the rights to show Moby, Aww, Moby Dick, essentially. That would have been good. Brody, then, he's, he's learning about sharks. He's buying some of them books and getting educated and how they sense movement in the water. And his wife's like, I don't think our son's ever going to go in the water again. Don't freak out because they bought him a boat for his birthday the next day. And he's sitting in it in the dark and Brody's all freaking out. And then she sees a picture in his book of a shark fucking busting so through the good. bottom of a boat. She uh, screams Michael, get kid. in here right now. And then, yeah, proper slasher film. It's nighttime. We've got two fishermen out oh, in the oh, boat. You missed, you missed one of my favorite lines in the movie when uh, Give it. Brody and his wife are just chilling there. And she's like want to get drunk and fool around i love that one too <laughs> yeah that's gotta be a that tinder that's gotta be a tinder bio bro, like somewhere <laughs> surely i wrote that down and said i really yeah. love their relationship here which <laughs> yeah. is in the book they're not unhappy but it's very much like him trying to get something to happen and she just kind of like rolls over and falls asleep and there is an affair that happens in the book oh, involving her oh, yes there is so it's fun to see ah. not only them being in a happy relationship, but it's fun to see her being the one pursuing sex. I like that part. The affair is about the only thing from the book I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's that who scene, she, that chapter. she have an affair with? Oh, we'll get there. It's okay. pretty graphic oh, okay. in the book. We'll get there. Mm -hmm. Is it the shark? It is the, the shark. Dick shark. shark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we need two fishermen who are out. They're trying to catch the shark, right? Is that what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. With to be the fair, holiday ham. To be fair, they're out yeah. on the boat, so you're like, well, this is how it's going to happen. And, but then they go onto a dock, 
like a little like jetty thing. And yeah, it's going to be interspersed with Brody still looking at his book. There's a person that we do get a shot here of a person swimming with a shark, like holding it. So there's like, that's like the one glimpse of not all sharks are monsters in this book, basically. But then, yeah, we get into all the terrible real life injuries that are caused by sharks and all the bits of people's legs bitten out. I remember as a kid, that was the stuff that really was like, ugh. Yeah, so the one of the pictures there where the guy's like half of his mm. abdomen torso bitten out. Yeah. That's an Australian man called Rodney Fox who became a big shark conservationist after that. Wow. Oh, well. Yeah, it's just like spent his life showing those graphic pictures, but being like, sharks are don't don't hurt them. Fishermen sit on the jetty, and the shark takes the bait, but it's so strong that in a Godzilla kind of moment, it just rips the jetty <laughs> in half. <laughs> drags one of them out to sea who tries to swim back and we're going to get so this again they had to get creative if you're not showing the shark what do you do it's I always great it. i love it it rarely makes any sense yeah it, <laughs> so doesn't. The shark is, it makes sense as it's going away mm-hmm. it doesn't make yes. sense when it starts coming it back it turns around comes back which means you'd have to have a huge leap the shark in would be right in front of the, of the jetty yep <laughs> but instead the guy's swimming away from it until the jetty like gets right on top of him and then the jet he climbs back up and the jetty is literally about to hit the rest of the jetty, but suddenly teleports to the side of the jetty to walk <laughs> up. It just like, goes up. to shore. But it makes, it's a good scene, so whatever. Gets the heart racing. It's very effective. <laughs> Next day, things have gone crazy as all the fishermen and all the just like not fishermen have decided to turn up to try and hunt this shark. And this is where we're going to get introduced to Hooper. Hooper. Oh, Hooper boy. Dickie Dreyfus. <laughs> Oceanographer Dickie Dreyfus turns up. He's bringing some levity immediately as a smart guy with a smart mouth, and I love it. <laughs> On the lockdown beard. Yes, definitely a lockdown beard. Yeah, he goes and meets up with Brody. We immediately got this just great vibe between these two, which for me makes the whole film. Yeah. Mm. And he's like, I want to see the remains of the first victim. And then, yeah, we're like seeing these fishermen go with fucking dynamite that they're throwing into the water. They're just like, yeah, they're going nuts. And they're all in the tiniest boats. Like the smallest great white you could find is bigger than all of those boats. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Brody takes him to look at the body and the coroner's there. And again, this it's in the reaction, isn't it? It's in the way Cooper what talks about scene. it. The way he's doing this is he's realizing this is a huge shark, which in real life, if this really happened, probably, yeah, this is a big shark. We should probably do this. It'll be like boring paperwork probably. But his reaction so guttural and so just like getting gradually more like exasperated and then turned mm. into the coroner go, this is not a fucking booty accident. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love this scene. Again, like using him as the the means of describing what he's seeing it just makes it seem more graphic and and real and yeah those reactions from his first reaction of when he puts the crate on the table and it's kind of just like okay oh that's small (laughs) Mm. and then when they open it and just yeah that like ah like the grimace on his face Mm. it's fucking it's uh, it's horrific yeah and he's gonna say it's a shock and then we're gonna cut to the opening mouth of a dead shark fairly a pretty large one that the fishermen have hauled in. Brody's all happy, thinking, yeah, we caught the big shark. Everyone's celebrating. Hooper, though, meanwhile, is measuring it. And we get this great, like, background yeah. side story of him gradually figuring out this isn't the shark and trying to tell people quietly as Quint is riding by on his boat, just laughing like a maniac. I love <laughs> yeah, that's it. what he does when he's. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Like, idiots. oh, yes. A shark. <laughs> I wish he was uh, holding up another picture he drew of a shark. <laughs> <laughs> But I remember uh, when I watched this. this I remember I was thinking this when I watched this as a kid, and I, I sort of thinking it as well this time. It's like, could that shark not have done damage? I mean, it looks like a pretty big shark. It could have like, done damage. 
Which I like. I mean, I do like Cooper's like, look, this could be a shark. It probably is a shark. Like, it could be one of the sharks, at least. You know, we do have multiple people who have been injured. But he's like, the facts are, this but isn't... is the idea that there's the not... I never get the... Like, is it meant to be that there's very... Like, a shark attack in that particular area is rare or just fatalities yes. are? Yeah. No, yeah. I think it's meant to be rare. Which in Martha's Vineyard, to be fair, they do have shark attacks. But I think, like, great white shark attacks are Yeah, because he rare. says it's rare. And then he's, like, an advocate of this territorial theory. Oh, yeah. That, like, once yeah. a shark starts feeding in, a, in an area, it'll sort of... Bring other sharks. Right. It'll hold that territory for its, its sort of self. Oh, yeah, okay. Because I remember, yeah, I'm thinking, like, that, that shark, surely if Jaws, the titular Jaws, wasn't around, still that shark could fucking destroy their summer, couldn't it? Surely? Yeah, it's a tiger yeah. shark. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what are the cool... Yeah, anyway. Well, and this is one of the things, we'll get to it in a minute, actually, because I do have one thing and I want Ali to see if she backs me up with this or not, because I might be wrong for my, it's been a while since I read my shark information. But yeah, they brought this shark in from Florida, because okay, it was the only place they could get, like, this is a real shark. It looks and real. It stunk. Like, it really stunk. By the time they were shooting it out into the hot, like, all of its guts are pushed down to its mouth and stuff, and it was, like, apparently terrible to be Ugh. shooting around. Cooper's, yeah, revealing it's a tiger shark. I love the guy he's talking to is like, it's a what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're having this conversation, the mayor Brody and Hooper, and Hooper's like, look, the only way we can be sure is we need to cut it open. And I, to be fair, I think quite fairly, the mayor's like, look, you're not cutting this fucking shark open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what like, he says. Yeah. Like, have, yeah, have like this kid spill out of its guts onto the door. Yeah, like you can't, you can't, like at this point, you're like, the mayor's bad guy. He is the bad guy. And then it comes out with that point. You're like, oh, yeah, fair, yeah, fair enough. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, very, that's, don't do it on the dock, point. but like yeah, you can take it point. to yeah. a warehouse and do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where the morning mother turns up. And it's just a great little touch because we don't need this. We could just push mm. on with the scene. But instead, she's going to turn up and we're going to really drive home how guilty Brody feels that he didn't push hard enough against the mayor. And that he's a good guy, in this film version at least, because he doesn't call out the mayor in front of everyone and be like, no, it was his fault, mm. not my fault. Yeah. He just lets her smack him in the face as she realizes that he knew that there was a shark and her boy died. Which is fair. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And the way she does it is so good. Like the repetition of some of the words, like that you knew all those things, but still my boy is dead now. is so like... Yeah. 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 Whoa. I yeah, there's like, like a real yeah. sort of potency to this moment and then <laughs> followed with the moment that comes right after it of how we just see his sort of moral compass shake and realign itself is really, really cool. Definitely. This does happen in the book too, but she does it the day of right after her son is killed and she storms into his office and just starts screaming at him. And she's just like, she's in her anger phase right. of grief. Yeah. And I think it's really powerful here because she kind of starts off angry and then just gets, you just see like how sad she is. And it ends yeah. in like this really soft, sad moment. Because is tell. this already a week after or a few days after at this point? It's hard to tell. I think yeah. it's only a couple of days. A couple days, couple of days is my yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, it can only be one or two days because Hooper has that comment about how their digestive systems are really slow and anything he ate in the last uh, 24 yeah, that's hours right. will be there. Yep, that's true. Now for me, and we're going to add this is where me and Ali are going to come to blows for sure. The most terrifying scene in this movie. Brody sat at the home. Uh, yeah, thinking about things, being all melancholic as his littlest kid is sitting there next to him and the mother's watching them as the little kid's copying all of the things that he does. He's so and then cute. gradually Brody realizes, looks at his little kid and pulls this little like monster face and the kid pulls this monster face back as the mother's basically crying. She's like, oh, my family is so beautiful. <laughs> um, and as that I, as a, as, a as a younger person, was recoiling in terror, 
<laughs> the monstrosity that a small child could be. I <laughs> love I, him. He's so cute. And even I didn't call this out earlier, but when the older brother's sitting on his boat tied to the jetty and Brody freaks out and yells at him to come back in and Ellen is still like, no, no, it's fine. Let him stay there. The kid yells out, I'm just sitting on the boat tied to the jetty. And then the young kid yells, I'm helping Michael. And he's just sitting on the dock, <laughs> like just watching his brother sit in a boat. It's, he's so precious. I love him. I like him in all the other scenes. There's something about this one shot that honestly gets right under my skin. Why <laughs> is the kid's funny looking? Is no, he's just no terrifying. I mean, I, do you love this moment though, Al? This whole moment? Yeah, no, the moment's great. But I mean, yeah. I think her standing there watching him nearly crying is a little heavy handed. It would be nice just <laughs> yeah, as a yeah. private moment between them. But yeah, because yeah. Uh, for me, I, I really loved it coming off the back of that moment with the mother that we're mm. still sort of in his head seeing him process this and that it's kind of the full stop at the end of it that's put on it is him looking at his son and just the whole give me a kiss why because i need it like it's just so sweet yeah it's really so, sweet sort of line. vulnerable it's really really nice and what's great about it is it's not just the scene just for this hooper then turns up with some yeah. wine and this is where we're going to get yeah an immediate true bond between these two characters as brody's really hit rock bottom and Hooper, like, Hooper just coming in with that line and sitting down and just be like, how was your day? Love <laughs> just it. like, so good. <laughs> great punctuation. And then going, are you going to eat that? <laughs> yeah. That was great. And then and they're immediately just like the old friends. Like, it's so nice. And then the wife just needs someone to talk to. So they start chatting and they have a spark immediately. And then this is where Allie can say things. Yep. So this is who she has an affair with in the book is Hooper. She's the one who wants to throw this dinner party. So she, for some background on her, she comes from one of the like wealthier families who would typically have vacationed here during the summer, not a local. And of course she ends up marrying Brody and having a life very different from the life that she grew up with. And they talk about that a lot in the book. And it's clear that she's kind of missing those luxuries. And Hooper is the younger brother of someone she used to date in her childhood. So uh -huh. similar background, similar wealthy family. And she runs into him, finds him very attractive, flirts with him, and then wants to throw this dinner party just as an excuse to invite him over. And he and Brody are not getting along. Brody does not oh. like him at all. He thinks he's like this super stuck up, wealthy, spoiled brat, basically. Wow. That sounds really interesting. It's interesting not only that they, well, it's not, like, I understand why they changed the affair thing, but Sidney Cooper and Brody's relationship I wonder if they thought about keeping them at odds to kind of make it a kind of odd threesome in terms of that. Sorry, not that with uh, Quint. No, I think yeah. you made a great threesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of Spielberg's stipulations when he came on board was like, I want to change these characters. We need them to be getting along. Like mm. it's, you know, it's a Spielberg movie. Like he doesn't like his characters to be too at odds with each other. Mm. They can be in a, like a Jurassic Park kind of way, but not in a... Yeah, they can have moments of disagreeing, but they definitely... You definitely feel that they care for each Certainly other. Certainly not fucking the other person's wife. No. That's not a Spielberg way to, way to go. Yeah. In the book, it's yeah. after this dinner, it's an entire chapter where she pretends she's going to be at work all day and meets him for lunch so like 30 minutes outside of town because that's where nobody will recognize them. And they wow. spend, they like get drunk at lunch and she confesses her fantasies to him and she has this like rape fantasy that she describes and then they just start discussing if they were to sleep together, like, what would you do to me? And then as soon as they Whoa. get in the car to go to a motel, she starts imagining that they get into a car crash as he's like fingering her in the car. 
and she imagines them getting into a car crash and dying and explains what her vagina would look like laying on the street dead after is this, this car crash. Book? It is an insane chapter. Holy shit. Is the rest it's, of the book like that? No, that's the only thing. And I texted Al and I was like, I think Peter Benchley wanted to write erotica. Like this one chapter. That is insane. It's pretty, she was like, I want you to meet. Give me your hand. I'm going to show you Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's teeth. That's a different movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Parallel uh, Monsters from VHS. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they're wow. right to leave it out. Let's be honest. We need this camaraderie here. They're right Absolutely. to leave it out. But you can sense it in this scene. That yeah, it's a little she's definitely like giddy and flirting with him. And one of the funniest parts is when I finished the book and read Peter Benchley's letter to one of the producers on the script, one of his comments is something that I don't remember if it's dialogue or a scene between Brody and Ellen, but he's like, this scene makes it seem like they have a bad marriage. I don't agree with that. We need to like show that they have a good marriage. <laughs> it's like your book shows otherwise. It's an, <laughs> yeah, an interesting weird. bone to pick. That is strange. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there you go. There's one of the big changes. Wow. Which does really pollute the whole film in a different way if they had kept that in. Yeah. An important thing here for me, which we're going to get to, uh, we'll touch on it, I think, at the end of this is Hooper saying that he's meant to leave the next day. He's only there for 24 mm. hours, and then he's meant to be heading for the Aurora, which is a at-sea institute. <laughs> 18 months he's going to be spending at-sea while they're doing all these experiments on sharks. This weird throwaway line that sets up this whole sort of scientific, like weird sci-fi almost universe of like the stuff they're doing like with sharks out in the ocean. He's going to end up not going there, but I want to call it out because that's important for something. For Deep Blue Sea? Yeah, no. it is. Um, and some of the, what I think are Hollywood lies that we're going to get to, but we'll get there. Anyway, Brody hates the water, but this is the first time. We've got hints of it, but this is the first time where we're definitely getting him establishing that. This is another wonderful writing bit that I really love, where the wife is explaining, oh, you know, he's afraid of the water. There's a clinical name for it. And he's just like drowning. And yeah. keeps talking. It's, really it's like almost so throwaway, but yeah. it's so... You're like, oh, shit. It's so rich for his character and his background. Yeah, and you're like, for the audience, like, oh, shit, there's like some serious shit there but they just never revisit it but it's like so loaded you get the feeling that yeah. something happened as well yeah yeah that's all you need to understand the trauma that he is reliving mm -hmm. even being on the water on a boat so that's ali great. he's going to turn down you some of his book facts on hooper to clarify some things i want to check something with you because he says is it true that most shark attacks happen 10 feet from the beach three feet of water and that's the way that most yet people get killed by sharks and hooper's like yeah that's correct and then they go through some other facts that's a fact, yeah, which I definitely remember very, very clearly. However, not for great whites. And the weird thing that I always learned was that despite the ridiculousness of this film and its poster, the poster is accurate. Almost all great white attacks do happen vertically. Yeah. Whereas the other sharks, yes, will come to close right into where the water is, sorry, where the beach is. And that's where they attack people. Much smaller sharks normally. And yeah, they're doing it in shallower water and they're doing it horizontally. Whereas a great white, you won't even know it's coming most of the time. They get very low down and then they propel themselves upwards. I imagine if like even the video Alex was talking about where a great white attacks the surfer, he does come vertically. But I think it's just because when you're in shallower water, they can't go vertical. And also the advantage of the great white with its coloring is that from underneath, because of its white belly, you won't see it if you're swimming underneath it. And if you're above it, you won't see it because of its the darker gray. gray. So if you, yeah, there's documentaries of where they've set up like fake seals to see great whites breaching and attacking yeah. them. And it'll be literally a thing of like the camera pointing down and within you don't a split notice second, until it's, it's out. like, boom, it's straight up. 
Yeah. I mean, the fact that the majority of shark attacks happen in that area of water is because that's where people are. Like people, if you're doing a water sport, that's the part of the water you're going to be in. I just don't know if I've ever read anything about great whites coming into the beach. Like they're always going to be in deep water still. Like how close like that kid gets killed earlier on. Like that feels like, yeah, that's how a tiger shark or a bull shark. I mean, it's unlikely, but it's not unheard of. Like the video of the surfer. It's unusual for great whites to be in that shallow of water the thing is like with where you surf you can still be 50 meters out but yeah it's going to be still pretty shallow because usually it's on like sandbars yeah and the thing is is like with most shark attacks is that sharks are curious like other animals except they don't have (laughs) the only way that they can test what something in the water is is with their is with their mouth so Mm. often a shark attack isn't necessarily a shark attacking a human to consume as them. prey but right. it's literally like there's something in the water i need to see what it is holy shit it's got a big jaw big teeth <laughs> and a person yeah. bleeds out it's basically you know like I mean? me in japan <laughs> sure. don't know what i'm eating Just you spit it out <laughs> well yeah that's what that's great whites they don't like eat the entire human most of the time they spit no. you back out and if you die it's you die from losing all your blood yeah i do need so, that blood one of my notes that i wrote down whilst watching this was I love that one of the cool things about Jaws is you actually feel like you're learning about sharks. <laughs> and, and then I was like, but am I though? Is this real? Should I probably, I should probably double check these facts. But, uh, no. Well, yeah. But in, in, I mean, in, I think in, they do say the true things, but it's just always maybe a little bit weird. But it's weird. This, and it was in this part of the film, you know, when they go and like cut the shark open and stuff, it's like, start actually giving you some details as they're bonding and you kind of feel like, okay, you know, we're actually getting to know this killer in a way you know yeah well that's what like in the book peter eventually comments on the fact that when he wrote this book he thought all of these things were true there was so little research done on sharks and people knew very little about them that the only thing that he knew of were stories that were told so he was like in my Mm. head sharks did hunt humans they did actively hunt and attack boats because he had heard a story of one great white that like bumped into a boat and caused (laughs) a hole or something so this is what they thought was true. Mm. Oh, I've actually got a pretty gruesome shark, real life shark story. So before I was born, like three years before my I was born, my mum and dad and my older brother and sister went and lived on a boat in the Great Barrier Reef for seven months. And my dad told me this story that happened at the time about a yacht that had sunk and there were four crew. And basically they knew that they were in danger being in the open sea and they had to reach the reef for any chance of survival and rescue. So they knew which direction the reef was in. So they all started swimming and essentially a tiger shark came in and took one person and they kept swimming and came back. I don't know if it was like hours later, took another person until only one person made it back to the reef and got rescued. Doesn't Quint tell that story later on in Jaws? <laughs> similar. And, is just telling the story from and similar to the story you told, Tom. Oh, well, the, yeah. that was the just Irish one guy. That was just one guy. We actually, I mean, again, I don't get into propaganda. It's because we talk about these things. It's like anything. It's like when someone sees something that happens and then we put meaning on it. It's like, well, yeah, but we talked about it because it was rare for that to happen. And that's why it got discussed. Yeah. And then like yeah, we yeah. turn that into a moment from God or something. You mm. know? But it's like, no, it's because it's rare. And it's like, yeah. So, like, but, so obviously we talk about this stuff because it doesn't happen very often. But we actually have one. You remember our friend Angus, Tom? He told oh, me yeah. one when we were recording once 
to do with his cousin doing tours off of uh, it happened that week when we were recording and his cousin just on a tour off of south africa where they did these shark dives and his whole like the entire boat basically got eaten by tiger sharks it was kind of crazy um, and then he went straight back out again the next week to do more <laughs> yeah. yeah gotta make that money oh yeah <laughs> uh anyway they decide to get drunk and go open up the shark let's just find out if it is the one and um, we get this great shot as they do it where the like the milk spills out and then he's just it's throwing gross. stuff at yeah. Brody. <laughs> like what it's hilarious so man i remember when yeah. i was like the white liquid coming out of the shark really stuck with me as a kid and i think it was a combination of that and bishop in alien do you know when he dies yeah he's got the white blood and they have the white blood and i just watched it must have been like at that period i was watching these movies the whole white blood thing just totally threw me and i was convinced that like white blood was actually a thing robot shark get. yeah yeah well it's got a license plate from louisiana it's got a tin can got some fish heads but no people remains so then hooper's like well if he's a rogue the night's the best time to go find him we know where he's gonna be Let's head on out in Hooper's boat. But he's not drunk enough to be out in a boat, as he says. I love this back and forth in that moment. He's like, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I can't do that. Yes, you can. (laughs) So good. Classic hard cut. Love Hooper. Yeah, he's saying, I do like the little things where he's like, yeah, he left New York because there are so many crimes that you never feel you can accomplish anything. Whereas in like this little town, you feel you can really get something done. And it's going to turn out here, this is where we're really going to learn Hooper's. Yes, it's very rich. And it's a wonderful, like, the way they do that, like, it's just so great. Like, it's not done, like you're saying, Ali, in the book, where there's, like, this animosity about it yeah. or whatever. It's very just, like, it's quite funny <laughs> the way they deliver it. And, yeah, there's loads of great lines here, like, where he's talking about, isn't it weird that you, someone who's scared of water lives on an island. And he's like, it's only an island if you look at it from the water. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And this is where they do find Ben Gardner's boat. Chomp All three. Oh, sorry. Mm. Whoops, spoiler. <laughs> All banged up, a bite taken out of it. Hooper says, don't worry, I'm going to go check the hull. I've just got to go check something. Quote, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. So this is my first <laughs> moment of slasher logic where you're like, look, I've respected these characters. Hooper's proven himself as the smart one. Everyone's doing the things that they should be doing. And this is the first time you're like, you literally... Don't do that. You've been laughing at these other fishermen and how stupid they are. <laughs> you've just said you're definitely in the area where the shark is. I don't know if what they just saw in the scanner was the boat or the shark, but they saw something on the scanner. And then you're going to dive in and that your line would be, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Like, as if you're going to do it, at least do it in a way of like, all right, we should be prepared for this or this. You know, this is how you handle if this happens. I don't know, just something. It just feels so out of character. But at this point, isn't the whole point that Hooper is not like he's not afraid of sh- like he's a, he loves sharks and he doesn't appreciate what a threat this is yet you know he's like like he yeah we were saying earlier he's just going to get in with a snorkel and the shark's just gonna you know just gonna go on by maybe he knows right, snorkelers are the safest exactly yeah but I, that's i think you're right but i just i would appreciate an extra sentence like in there if or something, something to, like, happens this is what you do yeah or just even like even something to yet again his mindset of like look don't worry like honestly it's only going to attack if it's provoked or just something that lets you know he's not scared of it Whereas all I get is, hang on, why are you stupid? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. And he does dive down. He finds a giant shark tooth embedded in the boat. The music kits in. And then we get a fake scare, I guess, because you think the shark's going to appear. And instead, Ben Gardner's head pops out. Chomp three. Makes him drop the light, drop the tooth. Still, what's what, got to be one of the all-time greatest jump scares, surely. Well, these are the things. So when yeah, Spielberg... I jumped this time. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, every time. Yeah. When Spielberg did the test screening for this movie, this scene wasn't in the film. I don't know if the whole boat scene wasn't in the film, which would make sense to me if this was all added later, because that's kind of how this scene feels, you know. Or it might just be that they found a tooth. Nothing, I'm not sure. But the head pop out was not there. 
And he said, as he was watching the test screening, the very first time you see the shark, which we're going to get to, everybody in the audience lost their mind. He said, like, it was such a huge jump moment. Everyone was, like, screaming. And he was like, oh, I love this. Let's add another one in. Let's make them so do that they went twice. Back and they shot the head popping out. And it comes in before the shark appears properly. And when they did the next test screening, everybody lost their mind that this head popping out. Everyone went crazy. When it got to the shark, the reaction was not the same. And he said mm-hmm. that was a moment where he learned each film, you only get one moment, one true moment, mm-hmm. because after that point, everyone's on guard for the rest mm-hmm. of the film. You know? Interesting. It's interesting then that he kept the head then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would you I mean, it was already in. Yeah. And he didn't really know oh, until, okay, it was, it's until it was out. This is just what he learned from that decision moving forward. That's cool. Right, his career. Okay. But I would say just because you don't get such a big outward reaction doesn't mean you're not inwards. Like being on guard can be like you're very tense for the rest of the film, which is effective, you know, in a different way. You're just not getting fucking jumping out. You see a scream or whatever for a lot of the film. I do want to know how this guy died inside his boat, but whatever. <laughs> Next day, they're trying to convince the I think the shark ate him and then was like, ooh, this head's gross. Spit him back out through the hole he made. Tuck it back in. Tucked it back in. Uses his nose and scoots it like a dog. So again, this great scene where it's daytime, they're trying to convince the mayor to, you know, that they've got to like do something about the situation. It wasn't a real shark. And the mayor's trying to shrug it off. He's like, but you don't have the tooth. Interesting. Yeah. There's no getting through to this arsehole. And he's more concerned about the Amityville. <laughs> Amity Island billboard. He's concerned about a haunting that's happening down the road in Amityville. He's very concerned. <laughs> he just bought some real estate down in Amityville and he's a bit freaked out. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you mentioned real estate because in the book, this is another big difference between the book and the movie, is he is involved with the mafia and they have this like real estate company that he is kind of like making purchases for them for super cheap because of the shark attack. And then he's driving Brody to open the beach for the 4th of July so that they just bought this property for super cheap. And then when people come to rent the houses or buy them, they like make a killing and then he then passes it back over to the mafia. And there's a lot of tension between Brody and the mayor because they're actually good friends, like their families get together a lot. Uh, and he realizes that something is really off with him because he's under so How much stress. How long is this book? It's like <laughs> 320 wow. pages. I feel like we don't need a lot of this. Yeah, I'm very glad they cut all this stuff down. They took it out. But yeah, so he's all upset because they've graffitied the shark fin. I, the I have a question on this because yeah. I literally the line where the mayor says something about they're going to be hung up by their busker browns. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, what? I looked that up. I was what like, are, what are busker yeah, browns? Yeah, what are busker browns? Anybody know? No, I don't know. No idea. Don't know. Yeah, okay. Dirty undies. Yeah. Another yeah, great yeah, 70s yeah. film title. Yeah. Probably. Okay. This is one of my favorite bits with Hooper where he just loses it because he's just so infuriated trying to talk to this person in power who's just not listening to logic Mm -hmm. at all. Like anything you say, they could just like turn it back in this sort of completely lateral thinking sort of way. And yeah, like the mayor just saying that Hooper just wants to get his name into National Geographic. So Hooper just like starts laughing and it's like his performance here is Mm -hmm. so great. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And definitely echoing our current Yeah, that stood out to me as well. It's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow is the 4th of July. And they will be open. Yeah. So the ferries arrive packed with people for the weekend. Again, so many fucking people. It gives okay, so I've got a story. Vibe. This is where my story drops in that okay. I warned you for. It's a weird sort of thing that kind of involves Jaws, but have any of you guys ever heard of the Lady of the Dunes? No. I nope. have. So the Lady of the Dunes on July 26, 1974, 
in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which was 100 miles, I think, north of where they filmed Jaws. And this was in the same summer of 74. A nine-year-old girl stumbled upon this body in these dunes of this woman, and she was nearly decapitated. Her hands were missing. She had several teeth missing. And with her body was a blue bandana and a pair of blue jeans. And this case is, to this day, is unsolved. No one's ever found the killer or any clues. There's been like lots of different leads that have led nowhere and all this sort of stuff. Are you going to reveal who the killer is right now on our show? (laughs) Yep. This is the big reveal. But there's this sort of story and theory that's started circulating, which was started by Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King, where he identified a woman in this scene coming off the boat wearing a blue bandana, blue jeans, who looks very similar to the sketches that the police have created and handed out during the years that this has been a cold case. And his theory was, was that this extra in this July 4th scene is the lady in the dunes. Yeah, and, well. and if you look at the image of her, you can look it up, I'll send you guys some links. The image from the film, plus some of the images of the sketches that the cops came there is a crazy sort of similarity but you know and it is far-fetched but it was during the same summer she was it was only 100 miles away it was in new england yeah so it's just this cool little kind of weird story so when she i had read about this a while ago but i had not gone back to watch jaws but yeah we're knowing at this time the moment she appears like it's just a frame but yeah i'm looking at those photos so yeah look it up the lady of the dunes oh cool yeah and so joe hill Obviously went to law enforcement and they were all like, yeah, this could be a lead, but it's pretty far-fetched. And he went to Universal to get records. And this could be going back to what you were saying, Al, of how they had so many. And they got back to him and like, yeah, we didn't keep any records of extras like we do now, basically. So there's no way of finding out the identity of that woman unless someone remembered. Mm. remembers. Crazy. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool little interesting little, mm. little That's story. Amazing. That is cool. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. Okay, so we're going to cut to a video game with some sharks. Sort of oh, video game. killer graphics. <laughs> Brody's back out on the beach. It's absolutely packed. We're getting this long wind-up. They've got cops, hoopers out in the ocean, choppers are flying overhead. No one's wanting to swim until the mayor comes over to like one of his pals. It's like, why don't you just take your kids into the water? The wife looks again. terrified. <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, a great potent sort of observation of as soon as one family's in the water, everyone's just like, yeah, it's safe, <laughs> yeah. go on water. Which is how I worry everything is going to be over the next few weeks as we gradually... Yeah, that's certainly how we can learn anything yeah. from Jaws. Brody's kid and his friends that are about to take his birthday present boat out into the ocean and Brody's like, can you do your old man a favor and take it to the pond instead? And he's like, yeah, it's for grandpas. Uh, for but old ladies, to do it. Old ladies, yeah. So this, the pond is joined to the ocean, but it's just like, you know, tucked in. So it's like less dangerous, or so he thinks. And then we're going to get a fake out as we get a great shot of a shark and people's reactions of the shark fin in the water, like looking to camera as they back away. <laughs> I, I love those shots because I also love that there's often there's uh, water on the lenses. So it kind of warps the people <laughs> yeah. and then people are just going nuts smashing kids <laughs> oh yeah then they just go to a frenzied panic there's a man like pushing kids off a lilo and then using their lilo <laughs> there's a woman just clutching a child and screaming <laughs> like as everyone's running around them it's brilliant and yeah and then it's revealed it's these two kids who basically have made this fake fin and they're like freaking everyone out they would be shot like there's no way if they weren't no if way. they weren't kids 
Even, no, but I've just mean before. No, like, like, the, the cops would see that fin and would just start shooting, shooting at, it. at it. For sure. Once everyone was out of the water, the cops would have just been fucking shooting. They wouldn't be like waiting over the fin to go, we'll wait till it comes up and then we'll Til see if it it's Fred. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, no. It's like, but is it Fred or is it Bruce? Because if it's Fred, it's fine. <laughs> if it's Bruce, we've got to kill it. So we've had a good, like, you know, build up and then release the tension. And while the cops and people are all relaxing about that fake out, there's this great, I mean, God bless 70s women. There's a great attractive 70s woman who notices the actual shark heading towards the pond and starts screaming shark. And then obviously everyone's like, yeah, we just went through this. Can't be real. And it's this wonderful wind up as Brody's gradually walking towards it, but presuming it's a fake. And then his wife going, wait, but our kid's in the pond. And then gradually as he like starts to run and goes faster and faster and starts to realize, hang on. Well, did you guys notice before that, even before the girl notices when one of the cops is like, yeah, it was a false alarm. You actually see a fin in the background. Yeah, you do. Oh, do you? Oh. Yeah. Yep. Oh, really? Very I didn't nice. notice that. Yeah. Very nice. It's a, it's a shark. I like to think the shark paid these kids to do that, to create a distraction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I need a distraction. Get them over there. <laughs> a guy goes to chat to Brody's kids. So they're, like, they're out in the boat and there's this guy in his little rowboat who comes over to talk to them about how to like get in a sail going. As this Brody and other people now are running to the pond, and this is my personal favorite shot in the entire movie. His boat then gets tipped over by the shark. We get harp music rather than normal stuff. It goes all weird and mm. dreamy. It's like flashback music. And then we get this top-down shot. And it's the first real time that we see the shark is under the water, mouth agape. Yeah. As it like oh, grabs yeah, that's him. Like turns yeah. sideways. That was always the haunting one for me of like being able to see through the water and you can yeah. just see its jaws like underneath. It looks massive. Yeah. 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 It's, it's huge. Fucking cool. Yeah, this first real time we saw him, I'm guessing this is the bit that got the big jump the first time. I don't know. Maybe it was a different bit Spill was talking about. Mm. But this is definitely the first time we really see the shark. And then it comes out of the water a little bit more. And then his leg falls to the floor. Then. <laughs> Chomp for friendly boatman. Mm. <laughs> Brody's kid is right in it. He says it all. And, it, and it's from the camera movement. The implication is that the shark swims right by him. Mm. Yeah. Almost mm. touching him. My thing I was thinking here, Al, was when it swims past little Michael... Why didn't the water turn brown? <laughs> no, no one else was thinking that. Yeah, I, I was I, thinking, why here. isn't exactly he swimming? <laughs> he just sits there and stares at it. He's frozen in fear. I Ellie. guess he does go into mm -hmm. and shock. his own excrement, mm -hmm. which they <laughs> and actually didn't want to probably, <laughs> probably the smarter thing to do than splashing around. So. And now they know what they're up against. This is the real moment. This is the penny drop moment where every is undeniable. Everybody's seen it. Brody has come close to like getting Brody's kid. Brody stares out to the ocean defiantly. So now we're going to cut to hospital where his kid's in like, I guess, trauma therapy. I don't know. He's in hospital for some reason. He's, uh, they yeah, say so that he's in shock. They like pull his body from the water. It looks like he's like he drowned his mom. It's like, is he dead? And they just say, no, he's in shock. No, just a wuss. He's <laughs> this hospital, by the way. Run by children. It apparently. is. <laughs> it's like Bugsy Malone. It's fucking insane. This girl was so excited to have lines in this movie. Yes. She was stoked. The guy, the guy who's pushing the kid. Because you get like this young woman nurse and you're like, okay, maybe. And then like the doctor guy who looks like he's 16 with like beautiful <laughs> blonde 70s hair. He looks like a Norwegian. Like it's incredible. And he just keeps sort of like looking up towards camera a little bit. Like, For a second, I thought he was the same blonde guy from the beginning. Oh, really? uh, drunk. Maybe Slow it was. Down. He became a doctor right after <laughs> that happened. Well, that's how he, you know, he goes nuts on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so this scene, the 4th of July scene, 
I don't know for you guys, but this is the big scene that I remember from this movie. And it's not in the book. They, oh, really? they don't have a big 4th of July celebration. It stays closed. They comment oh, wow. on it a lot because the mayor is still pushing for them to open. But Mafia this doesn't happen. They never do. That's interesting. I mean, I think it's the right driving force for a movie in particular. If you've got like two hours to tell your story, yeah, the mayor has to have his drive, which is 4th of July. Let's make some money. Everyone's got their like little mission they're on. Yeah. So I think it's the right impetus. And I also love this moment. This is a big moment here because this is like Brody says to his wife, let's go home. And she says back to New York. And he says, no, here. And that's his moment of like, no, this is our home now. We're going to deal with this problem. Yeah. We're Mm -hmm. not going to run away from things. Okay. I have a question for you guys. The mom says to the kid, do you want me to bring you anything? Ice cream? And he says, coffee. Does he want coffee or does he want coffee flavored ice cream? I was wondering the same thing. I think he wants a hard coffee. He wants a strong drink. Because she was like, she's like, you can stay up and watch TV. So he's like, bring me coffee. I I can fucking stay up. Give me some caffeine. (laughs) Different time. Love it. Yeah. And then this is great because the mayor turns up. He's in shock. And this is, you know, it's nice because we're getting some humanity here from the mayor. He realizes what he's done. Yeah. Agrees to sign his contract. I think he's wearing Smoking. his anchor suit in this scene again as well. He wears it when you first introduce him and that goes away and then he brings it back. It's his favorite blazer. Yeah, yeah. It, means oh, we, it, was, it was a big day, man. Yeah. We also forgot to mention when you're on the beach for 4th of July, there's a reporter and that's Peter Benchley. That's yes. the author. Oh, that was Peter mm-hmm. Benchley? Yeah. That's cool. And there's someone on one of the radios, I think, in that scene as well, who's Spielberg. Mm. So. Ah. so yeah, before Peter Benchley got chucked off set, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so the, yeah, the mayor agrees to sign a contract that they're going to hire Quint to kill the shark. And Brody's got true determination now, so he's like storms off to go to Quint. And the audience is like, who? Remember that guy we met like 45 <laughs> minutes ago? Oh, yeah. Remember that maniac? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, here he is. Yeah. And oh boy, if you need an injection of some different energy in this film, <laughs> it's going to come from now on. As Quint's in, he's like ranting about all the things he needs. He needs a case of apricot brandy. He's like just all the strange like stuff that he wants from him to do as this soon, job. Well, as soon as he says, I need a case of apricot brandy, someone else is like, you'll get two. Really? Who was that? Maybe it's his little helper guy that was in the... Oh, yeah. was he there? <laughs> I've never off, noticed off this he's in, assistant he's in the he box. has. He's in the but box. But there's someone the who shouts back and is like, yeah, no, we'll give you two. But it doesn't look like Brody's speaking. I also love here how Quint's hands are just covered in blood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Katie was like, why is he so bloody? It's like, because he's a man. <laughs> yeah. He's just been, he's been in that chum. <laughs> And he's got some great lines when they have a drink. He's like, here's some I made myself. And then he's like, here's to swimming with bow-legged women. Mm-hmm. Every line he has ridiculous. is amazing. With his line um, there about the hands, when he's like, you got city hands, You have Mr. city Hooper. hands. <laughs> got money all your life. I was like, that, that traumatized me as a kid. Like, you know, it stuck with me ever since. I'm like, do I have city? Like, am I a city hands? Do I am have I not, city hands? Am I counting too much am I, money? Am I not a real man? You know? <laughs> so I don't know, Al, you might be getting into this later, but... Obviously, there's clear sort of there's this weird sort of animosity between Quint and Hopper here, Hooper, Hopper, Hooper, Hooper. Hooper. Oh, Hooper. And apparently, Robert Shaw was like a real, real asshole to Richard Dreyfus on this set. Mm. Yeah, they argued constantly. Yeah, I was reading one story how he would say things. <laughs> like about saying to Richard Dreyfus, like you're only going to get cast as a little Jewish guy. You're not going to have a career. And then at one point dared him to climb up to the top of the the lookout on the boat. And Spielberg had to like 
put a stop to. Oh my god! <laughs> I'd tell him to stop being an asshole. Yeah, this friction between the two of them is is absolutely true. Like they, but are, it's, like, it's gold on screen. Mm. Yeah, it's one of the reasons it works so well. And Roy Scheider was there saying like Robert Shaw was a delightful gentleman to work with whenever he wasn't drunk, which then right. was Most basically a couple of days. Mm. Yeah. He was we'll get into some more things to do with him actually at the end of this. But yeah, a lot of his stuff was obviously just him at living and just doing stuff and just being himself and the little fucking drunken tornado that he is. But it's mm. totally, it works amazingly on the screen. Yeah. Like the friction is so great between them. Yeah, and I love this where he like tosses him a rope and just like do this knot and then he does it and throws it to him and he doesn't even look at it. He just throws <laughs> it aside. <laughs> well, it like lands on him in a really comical way and he just like gets sick of the fact that he didn't catch it. <laughs> Give me your hands. So this is where I really, and it seems really obvious to say, and I'm sure it's not new to talk about at all, but for me, I was really appreciating this time realizing, because there's a lot of men in this film. And it is, you know, it's not coincidence that, again, his wife's name, I didn't even know throughout the movie, it's just Brody's wife, basically. Do we know that the shark is a meal? I mean, they called it Bruce. So Not in the movie, they don't call it. In the movie? movie, Of course not. Not No, we never see the double-pronged. The crew named it a male name. So when I watched these growing up, my sister, I remember my sister telling me that in Jaws, it's the baby shark, and then in Jaws 2, the older brother shark got really angry about what happened to the baby shark <laughs> yep. and then jaws three is the mama shark and then wait there are still sharks in jaws three <laughs> alex <laughs> hasn't seen the i sequel. haven't oh, seen them sorry sorry i won't tell you who jaws which shark jaws four is okay. don't get into the family tree tom just hasn't yet. seen that one either so we'll, probably, we'll have much less to talk about in the following weeks mm. so the family tree might be one of the go-to's <laughs> um but no, someone else become very apparent to me is like one of the reasons I think whether they intended it or not that this film has worked so well for so long. It's like when we talk about sitcoms, you know, like one of the reasons Friends they always had worked was because the three men, they represent three different sides of what we expect from a male personality. And the three women ex- represented three versions of what we expect from a female personality, whether that's fair or not. And most people identify a little bit with all of them and maybe a little bit more, you know, with one of them. And in this film you have like it deals with all the different types of a male ego and what we're expecting from men particularly in the 70s but i think even still to this day in some ways and then it's also dealing with class and it's really mm. fucking brilliant because you have basically the working class represented by quint who represents yeah i'm a man i got blood on my hands all the time i'm just like out at sea we just deal with what's in front of us and get shit done and then you've got the middle class with Brody, who's your everyman, essentially. And he's the protector. You know, he's the one who's meant to be like helping people and being like that version of a male. But he has, he's the only one who has something he has to personally overcome, which is that he doesn't like water. Mm. And then you've got the upper class, of course, with Hooper, who's the brains and that side that we're meant to have, like, you know, as a man as well. And then I'm not sure what class he is, but we have the mayor who's obviously representing the businessman. Yeah. And these are like the four things that you are we're taught you're meant to expect from a male personality, essentially. And I think it's one of the reasons all these characters work so well is because they all occupy a different space that people can watch and identify a little bit with all of them, but lean in mostly. To Don't forget them, the first guy at the campfire at the beginning who just wants to get drunk and chase girls. <laughs> Which one do you <laughs> yeah, identify yeah. with, Tom? But yeah, it's just something where like this summer's like, I twigged it at kind of early and then I wrote down a note and then I just kept expanding on it and every scene just kept backing it up and I was like, I really feel this is why this collection of people works because they're each representing something. I don't know if it's on purpose or not. Doesn't Hooper say a line here as well? Like, don't give me that working class. Yeah. Hero, hero bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. Hero bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
And I do think you can go into a cinema and you can be backing Hooper or you can be backing Quinn yeah. or you can be backing Brody, you know. Probably not the mayor, but there are probably some people, you know, who are like just <laughs> businessmen are like, yeah, mayor's right. Well, that's why in the movie, the mayor's a lot more palatable because like you understand where he's coming from. Yeah. And the absolutely. fact that like a shark attack is so rare, it does make sense that you're like, no, that was just a freak accident. It's not going to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. But I just think it goes it's testament to people, writers out there, don't like make your characters relatable and empathetic. Yeah. You know? That's the we thing can, I remember most guys. about. Like when I think back, I hadn't seen Jaws in years, I've seen, but I've seen it so often when I was younger. And like one of the things I remember about it is the buddy movie aspect of it. Like the relationship between these three is one of the sort of defining features of it to me. And it is interesting that, you know, going back to this thing I said at the start about is Jaws a horror movie? Like at this point you have that, there's like, it's, it's almost like two movies. You get the first half, which is horror. And then literally at the hour mark, it just turns into this kind of buddy adventure. And it's, yeah. you know, it survives on the, on the chemistry of those three characters and their sort of camaraderie and bickering. Yep. No, you're exactly right. It's like an hour in, this is the point where we're on track to like do it in slasher fashion, essentially. Like, let's get down to a confrontation. You'll fail once and then you'll succeed in the second one and mm. we're done. And we're out at an hour and a half through. But this film is two hours long or nearly. And yeah, what we're now going to get is moving into a third act that essentially is a whole different movie, yeah, can, which is yeah. like normally you'd be like, you either don't do this or you do it much earlier. Like much earlier, it's like, no, the movie is them on the boat chasing the shark. Yeah. And instead we now turn into, as the music does as well, the yeah, music goes the music was all full jaunty. on adventure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I noticed that. Whole different movie. We're not doing the Jaws POV anymore. We're purely from their perspective mm -hmm. entirely from this point on, other than one break in that. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd forgotten as well how big this last act was. Because mm. in my head, getting up to this point, I was like, yeah, heading into the last act, it's just this confrontation on the ship. And I think I paused it to go and do something. And it was like an hour left. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot that this yeah, bit's yeah. like a whole it's bit fun. on its own. It's very weird because it shouldn't work. Like so far, they've been very traditional with how they're pacing stuff. And this shouldn't work. Mm. Um, and I guess we could talk maybe it doesn't work for one of us. But yeah, for me, it's like, yeah, you're suddenly brought into this little... And it hints more at where Spielberg's going to go with like Indiana Jones and things like that. You know, there are a lot of those more moments in this, like shots of machetes being hit and stuff and like people having a good time on a rollicking adventure. Mm. But yeah, Hooper's bringing all of his high tech equipment onto this ship, including an anti-shark cage. I love this another bit. Good, another good Quint line here. What are you, some kind of half-assed astronaut? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, man goes inside cage, cage goes in a water, sharks yeah. in a water. Ah, shark. And then just start singing farewell to your first pass. I, so I love that moment. So Which good. he sings again and again and again. And then they actually bring yeah, into the score yeah. later. Yeah, yeah they yeah. do. I noticed that. Yeah. It's great. Hooper, meanwhile, is like saying goodbye to his wife, taking some Dramamine. She's getting all teary-eyed. And then Quint does a rhyme about a 15-year-old girl losing her virginity. And Brody's wife turns away because of her delicate female sensibilities. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, no. How abrasive. And then adventure music just kicks in. Third act, yeah. whole new movie. Mm -hmm. They're out chumming. Quint says one time he had to put two barrels on a shark to wear him out. So we know for a fact three barrels are going to happen in this movie. He's got some, some great lines here. Like some good throwaway lines. One I wrote down was, once saw a shark eat a rocking chair. Yes, I love that one. <laughs> it's like, hilarious. And he's just like, for sure, he's just spewing this shit out. <laughs> uh, I love that Brody's wearing a little life jacket. <laughs> this section yeah. of the movie. And here's where we're going to learn things that you need to learn. Hooper's brought on these tanks that can blow up. And then we're going to get even them going <laughs> as far as Quint saying, I don't know what those will be used for. Maybe a shark will eat one. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a really nice quiet moment. This is one of my favorite moments. And Katie really 
appreciated this one. Quint's in his fishing chair and the others are doing their stuff like Charmian driving the boat. And then the line just suddenly goes. Yeah. Yeah. And it stops. Mm -hmm. And then Quint like just looks at it silently and doesn't tell people. And it's just this really quiet moment as he fastens himself. Yeah. yeah, It's so good. It's fucking cool. Brody at that point is just learning how to do a particular knot and they edit it nicely as the line suddenly starts rushing out. Hooper is reversing the boat. Things are taken off. And we're going to get a whole bunch of altercations here basically with the shark. Like Quint's like, he's a big smart fish. He's gone under the boat. Hooper's like denying him and going, it's not a shark. This is something else. <laughs> and then he's going. Yeah, why is Hooper so dismissive there? I don't know. Because at first when he was on top, I thought he could see something. Mm. And he was like, knew that it wasn't a shark. But then it is obviously... But he's still I don't so. Know. I think they're just trying to show that, you know, I think it's important that Hooper has to be taken down a few notches here because he yeah, has shown right. he's always right up mm. until this point and to show yeah. that Quint knows some things that he doesn't. So that's some yeah, respect. Yeah. But yeah, it does seem a little strange how defiant he is of it. Is this when Hooper makes his weird faces at Quint behind his back? That's a little later, but okay. yeah. <laughs> Love that moment. <laughs> Fucking bizarre. This is, however, where, uh, yeah, they get through all of this stuff and it bites through the metal wire. And then Quint is lording it over Hooper that it was wrong. We get this great shot from Quint as he's up the mast, like looking straight down mm. onto the boat, which is really mm. cool. And then Brody's back to doing chumming reluctantly. And here's where we get our jump shot as the shark comes out of the water. Not really any wind up. He just starts chumming and then it's yeah. just like, bam. Let's be honest. It doesn't look great. But for me, it works because of Brody's reaction afterwards. Yeah, it's so good. Or he's I silent think it does. for a few I think seconds. Looks, just... I think it looks pretty great. Like I, you like it? Well, I just I remember when I was growing up, like watching Jaws, and like you'd read about. It was pretty infamous about how this shark didn't work and yada yada, and how the shark's fake and or a big stupid plastic shark or whatever. I just always watched Jaws, not being able to see what people meant when the shark is shit and fake and isn't scary. Because I guess I find it really terrifying and pretty convincing. You know, he works for me whenever he's under the water. It works for me here, too. There's one moment where I think it looks very mechanical, but it, mm, it's coming yeah. later. But this shot still works for me. Yeah, me too. It still works. Mm. And it still holds up. I mean, there are moments, yeah, I think the more you start to see it, the more you can kind of pick it apart. Mm. And a thing that I started noticing this time as well, when you get wider shots, some from above, like it moves in a straight line. Yeah, and it moves. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of it slow doesn't move its kind of tail at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't yeah. like yeah. have that kind of S kind yeah. of yeah, yeah. There's, movement. There's one shot that comes after this where it, it's underneath the shark and it does have that movement. That yeah. it, it must be a real shark. I think they do mix it with some real, real footage. More, more rarely than you think. And normally you can really tell. Yeah, yeah. When we get to the cage stuff. Yeah, the cage stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also another bit too when you see it from above and slightly underwater where like it goes right down the body. And I remember Bethany telling to me and she's like, it looks really stumpy. Yeah. yeah. Because the tail just kind of like quickly (laughs) narrows down. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, his reaction either way is so fucking good. And this is where, of course, he backs up and gives the line, Mm. we're going to need a bigger boat. Apparently ad-libbed by him. This was not in the script. Mm. Yeah, and we get to see it. Big old boy swimming straight towards them. It looks amazing when it's under the water like this. I feel the mm. fins just like yeah. just like coming straight at him. And we get some cool top-down shots. Yeah, as we see it under the water. Again, going in a straight line, but I like I like the look of it under the water mm. a lot. And this is where they get into a dick measuring contest. Hooper's like 20 foot, quid's like 25. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe as we go into the other ones, we talked about enough in this this one, but Ali, we should get into some of the largest great whites that have been recorded. Well, the largest 25. one that's ever been recorded is 20. 
Her name is Deep Blue. She's still alive. <sighs> the footage we're, of that is so cool. We can get into this in dispute. Because, like, yeah, recorded is different from what has been found and what's been killed. Because there have been ones previously that are even bigger than this one, actually. But yeah, and this is where they could go full horror. And instead, no, John Williams decides to go full adventure. Mm. <laughs> the music is very frivolous and fun. They would keep getting all these shots of their feet going around the side of the boat. They always made me the most nervous. Yeah. <laughs> just, yep. Yep. And then Quint, I love this, like, while they're doing this and they're, like, chasing the shark, Quint picks up the radio as Brody's wife rings through and he just does this, like, quick, like, conversation. Everything's great. We'll just catch the fish. We'll be back for dinner. Soon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and then Hooper's trying to get a photograph of Brody by the shark. And it's just so weird. They play it all in this funny tone now when it's yeah. been, like, a slasher movie, mm. basically. I want to get the shark in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Foreground my ass. <laughs> like, can you imagine having like a Friday the 13th movie, but the last act is like, oh no, get Jason in the background. And what are like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quint wants his gun connected to the barrels because he's going to shoot him and tag him and try and keep him buoyant. But Hooper has run off to get his tracer, uh, but he gets back just in time as one of the barrels is taken underwater. And one of the only editing decisions I don't like, they're having a conversation about what to do and it just fades out. <laughs> well, the, yeah. in like terms of the tracer, does he ever actually use it? No. Like it never, no. Co- he spent like this whole scene is like him trying to desperately get it on in time and then he finally gets it. He got it, it's gone. He's got a track on the shark and then nothing. We don't track yeah. the shark. It's just, we just use the barrels for the rest of the... Yeah, you it. see the light like once more yeah. when it's mm. like dusk. Which you have to wonder like in the original version before the shark started breaking, did they have different intentions with some mm. of the stuff and then they had to like switch it up with the barrels to make it, I don't know. Who knows? Is that fade, like that dissolve fade there, Al, is that the one where Quint's just standing there looking at Hooper? Because there's a bit after the barrel goes out and because it was too slow and he couldn't get it in the head, he's just standing there like with this grin on his face just, just looking at yeah. Hooper. Yeah, oh yeah, when he's like leaning back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, there's bits where Brody's talking about, well, shouldn't we do this? Or shouldn't we maybe go back to shore and blah, blah, blah. And then they just fade it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> And we cut to nighttime, and this is where we're going to get one of, I mean, there's so many iconic scenes, mm. but one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history, as they're all drunk down in the hull, and Hooper and Quint begin this sort of like, again, dick measuring contest as they're showing off their injuries that they've got from different, different things that have happened to them. When they both get both their legs up on the table, it's fucking brilliant. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love what he's saying. Yeah. It's the physical contact's really nice. <laughs> the as physical well. contact is great, especially coming off of Quint just like shitting on Hooper any chance mm. he gets. Like as soon as Hooper's like, "Oh, I have a scar," Quint's like, "Oh, you're a man," and like all of a sudden they're <laughs> super buddy buddy. It's really fun. Yeah. Oh, I really love is like because then Hooper does his heart joke one, which is great. Which I feel is the bit that wins Quint over. Mm. And for some reason, as he's doing that, like I was looking at Quint this time, he's doing up his trousers. I don't know what happens. <laughs> but he's literally completely unbuckled and unzipped. And he's like... <laughs> well, he was ready to show them another scarf. Yeah, and he was like, Dick mind. They, they cut over to Brody during this conversation. And Brody just looks down and pulls out his pants and glances down and then no, it no, cuts he's away looking from at his, him. He looks he's at looking star, at his appendix he? scar. He oh, has okay. an appendix scar, but that's actually a real scar that he had. I uh, see. So he did that just to like... <laughs> I love that you thought he looked at his <laughs> pants. Like, what? <laughs> what is this do I, conversation? He's like, do I tell them about is the now the time shot? to uh, <laughs> undress? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it cuts back to Brody. He's just naked. <laughs> yeah, well, if we're bonding, <laughs> if guys. If we're having a dick measuring <laughs> contest, let me get by now. And this is where we're going to get, yes, the iconic Quint story about a USS Indianapolis, which, of course, is a true event that happened. A lot of these, I mean, his story is basically what happened. 
That's because he's, yeah, he's had his tattoo removed from that. And yes, hundreds and hundreds of people who died mostly to shark attacks during this very unique occurrence and very particular during the war. What a performance oh, for this story. So good. Masterful. It is, ah, lost for words. It's such a wonderful scene. And to tell a story like that, which is very long, and most producers, I feel, would say, just cut it. We don't need this. Like, let's get back to the action. To tell a story that long, that tells you everything you need to know about Quinn. You're like, now I understand him. And then to finish it, because what that boat was doing was delivering the Hiroshima bomb. And to yeah. finish that story of all of it, going, anyways, we delivered the bomb. And he raises his glass as if like, so there's some victory in that. And mm. just like that poignant, sad victory mm. of like, they did all that, lost all those lives just to do mass yeah. murder. Yeah. Yeah. Is that monologue common amongst the sort of actor audition schools? Do people do that? Is that a common one? Mm. Not that I've ever no. seen. You should start no. incorporating that. Start uh, yeah. start demanding that of uh, actors coming in. Who could fucking match it? Who could match mm, it? Yeah, yeah. Not like you get the whale singing in the background at the end as well. Like it gives you really good, like, I don't know, the atmosphere. They is sing just along fantastic. with it. Yeah. Then they start singing and the barrels bob up in the night. Show me the way to home. There's so many good, like, dynamic shifts in this scene. Yeah. Oh, so Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's just so well written and then acted and directed, I guess. So it's just. It's, yeah. This scene is one of the best ones. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's very magical. That's Show Me the Way to Go Home song. Does like, do you guys know that? We used to, no. we used to, my I dad mean, used to sing that in the car when we were like kids, like going on like road trips, like traveling really? places. Yeah, we hmm. song we used to sing in the car. Yeah, yeah. I huh. didn't realize it was about getting drunk and not being able to go home. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I know it, but I didn't know if I know it because this film's just been around my whole life. Yeah, yeah. so it feels like. Yeah, from so I knew this. Yeah, I knew that song from my dad before I knew it from Joel. So. Yeah. Yeah, now this is where the shark starts just attacking the boat. So it's just going to start smashing into the boat, which again, when you think about the logic, makes no sense because it would hit it once, swim away for a while, swim around. Instead, it's just like pounding. Yeah, hammering into the it. Doors, but whatever. Water starts coming in. The lights then turn out. And then Quint just starts fucking shooting into the water as the barrel like sinks again. And this is something where I'm not going to believe the Spielberg lies because you might have noticed here there's a shooting star yes, in the background. Yes, I, I, that caught my eye. It happens I, twice. Yeah, yeah, in the very next in two scene, shots. Yeah. In two yeah, shots. Yeah. And I rewound it and watched it three times because, uh, yes, I do know the stories of Spielberg saying, oh, we didn't know this was going to happen. It happened to be a shooting star night. There were a lot of shooting stars and we just happened to get it. Bullshit. <laughs> you call bullshit? I didn't even I know call this. bullshit. I like watch that again and again. And like uh -huh. you rewind it. It's like it's so slow. It's not at the pace that a shooting star normally is. And it looks drawn. Like, it doesn't look real at all. And if you're trying to photograph a shooting star, you have to, like, your exposure on a camera is very different from photographing anything else. So it's like, I call absolute bullshit. See, I was like, I'd never noticed that before. And I saw it yesterday. And again, I rewind. It was like, holy shit, was that a, was that a fucking shooting star? Was that a, my first thought was like, is that a UFO? I was like, oh, no, okay, it's probably a shooting star. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then I immediately went on the internet. And of course, the internet being the internet, it was like, Spielberg's lie, debunked, you know, shooting star. It's like, <laughs> fuck's, fuck's sake. Okay, guys. Okay, I'm just going to pretend that it's a shooting star. You know, fuck's sake. Everything has to be ruined. I thought it was like an emergency gun because it, it leaves uh, a red trail. So I thought like that, Quint or Brody had shot off like a, a help, an SOS sign. Well, this is the big thing because people twice. are like, well, why would you waste budget and time putting a shooting star into the scene? And it's like, I don't know, Spielberg, I feel, has some personal reasons. And he's about to get into his space era. Like, this is him about to lead into Close Encounters and all the stuff, like, you know, where he was very interested in space. And it's a, space, a marketing so. ploy because then you can talk about it. Oh, maybe like, yeah, we didn't know this was going to happen. Hang on. Was he'd already done Close Encounters at this point, hadn't he? No. 
this was his second theatrical movie. So Jaws is canon then. So this is the aliens. This is like the precursor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, that's the sort of thing. Is like, like nowadays, people I feel would do that more. But like Spielberg, he's always famously been working on three projects basically at the same time, Mm. at least two. So like, he was for sure thinking about the next things. Anyway, the boat is fucked. It's daytime. The barrel pops back up. They lean over to pull over up the rope. I would lean over far less in this film yep. than they do. <laughs> They're constantly trying to get in the water. Surprise, surprise, old Brucey jumps out. I'm shocked by this. You jumped? It's like I you're jumped. literally pulling up the rope that you think he's attached to. Yeah. Because at <laughs> first I was like, up. has it disconnected? Like, has he bitten it off? Yeah. But then, yeah, I think that's why. I Which happens at one point. I don't know if it's right after this, but he yeah. loses yeah. one of the barrels. Brody says he's going to make a phone call and... In stupid slasher rules, Quint just <laughs> loses it. Stupid slasher. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. He just fucking destroys the radio. And then we get this really, I realize this tracking shot as then Quint's walking along the other side of the boat and we're shooting him through the glass and we can see the shark in the distance as well through the windows. Mm-hmm. It's like a really cool shot. And they tag it with another barrel. Again, we know there's going to be three. Music's going crazy, crazy adventure still. And then we get a really weird shot of Brody here when he's just like smiling with the water behind him. <laughs> he looks so happy. I will say the barrels is a, another sort of, I guess, inventive way for them not to show the yeah. shark. Yeah, 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 big time. Yep. Like very effective. No, I think it's great. Yeah, and he gets tagged again and we get a shot as he nearly goes into the camera while roaring. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> So the roar, by the way, of Jaws, the roar of the shark itself is the same roar. I forgot what it came from. It was, an amount, it was part of a dinosaur and something else from some old films that Spielberg mixed together to become the roar of the truck in the ending of Duel. I did not <laughs> notice that roar. No, I mean, And he took that same roar and put yeah. it over the shark. Huh. Bruce goes down again. He's a strong boy, but then the barrels keep popping up. So they tie the ropes and the barrels to the boat. And this is, I don't know how they did this stuff. Like, it's so cool. The ropes get yeah. so taut and then start pulling the boat around with the strength of the shark. I mean, I guess they just got a big boat. I'm being stupid. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, they got a bigger boat. They recruited many they sharks like sley dogs <laughs> and just, you know, got them all. You know. <laughs> but these are great. Again, yeah, great devices where you don't need to see the shark, mm. but feel its power. We get reminded again of, no, no, they're explosive tanks here. Don't worry. <laughs> And then they're going to try and drag him into land. So Spielberg always said he had two biggest constant concerns with this movie while he was making it. Number one was the shark wouldn't work. And number two was wherever he pointed the camera, they'd see land because mm. they were never shooting that far away from land. Yeah. There is one shot here where you see land very close. By. Yeah. yeah. And it fucks with my geography because then it takes them a long time to get back to land after this point. But for the most part, I think he does a great job of keeping the camera in the right directions. Yeah, Bruce, though, is trying to eat through the ropes because he's a very smart shark. <laughs> very smart shark. Uh, which is more, I think that now, to me, is the most ridiculous thing in this movie. Is that he's shot just of like, him, like ch- munching his like way along. Well, yeah, there's, there's a bit here, I can't know if it's this point, where Brody asks Hooper if he's seen a great white do this before. And Hooper's yeah. sort of reaction suggests that, no, this is like, this is this off. Is the, this very is unusual. Are we to believe that Jaws is like a sentient psycho killer shark? I mean, he clearly is because he understands distractions. Mm. Yeah, he understands physics. Like, he can bash into things multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can put heads back in boats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he can kill people in three feet of water yeah. when he's clearly 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the one shot that's underwater. Katie noticed it. She was like, this is the one time we break from the perspective of the people where for some reason we're underwater as the shark is like underwater. Mm. So we get like this private moment. 
I think that's the shot that you see its tail actually moving back and forth. Yeah, so it must yeah. be real footage. Yeah. And then we get a great line of, he can't go under with three barrels. Not with three, he can't. <laughs> twice. He you get it twice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then the shark starts chasing them back towards the shallows. So to Brody's relief, they're like, no, we are going to, we're going to head back home. Don't worry about it. But for some reason, even though they're fine, the shark is chasing them. Everything's happening how they want, even though it's a mad, mad plan where Quint's like, we're going to like, let him chase us to shallow water and drown him mm-hmm. as if the shark's going to be so encased in fury that yeah. it won't notice that it's got to too shallow water and is dying. Yeah, so this was a, a bit that I wasn't sure of. Are they dragging the shark or the shark is following them? The shark the is following, following them. them. They wanted to drag it, I think. That's why they were attaching the barrels to the ah, boat, but it pulled the cleats right. off. Yeah. So then it so starts that, chasing slash it's the most ridiculous. The, the plan makes absolutely no sense yeah. whatsoever. But is, this, it, is this in the book as well, Ali? No, it's not. Okay. Neither is the way that they actually succeed. Yeah, so okay. is it in the book that Quint, for absolutely no reason, decides to sabotage a plan that is mad but is going very well <laughs> by overheating the boat for no reason? Like they have such a lead and they're doing fine. It's not even like the shark's like right on their tail yeah. or anything. So he's, he, you just get the impression he's on a suicide mission, essentially. The boat, of course, breaks down. They suddenly seem further out to sea, though, because they were getting close to, to mm. land. Yeah. yeah. And then this, there's a, like an explosion and it begins to sink a bit. It's not looking great. The music does a little bit of Fair Spanish Ladies Diddy for a second. <laughs> and then Quint just comes out and throws them life jackets. And I remember being a kid and being like, no, this is not okay. <laughs> this is not an okay situation. And it's always so weird to me that you wait until this point. Again, you feel like you're at the end. And then they're like, Hooper, what about that cage? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that our boat can barely support us, shall we get the cage out? And yeah, they decide to go some cage diving. Hooper's plan is he can... What's he going to do? He's going to stick him with a needle inside his mouth. Yeah, yeah. to get, get straight to his bloodstream. Because he can't get That's meant to his... kill him, right? Yeah. No, it was not a set Okay. Yeah. I think it's meant okay. to kill him. At least yeah, there's I it was like poison. Oh, okay. There's something in the book that's it's not like an injection, but it's it's an electric trigger that he is described in a similar way to the weapon that this looks like in the movie that he's going to try to penetrate into his brain oh, to kill wow. him. Okay. And he, it's basically that if he gets it anywhere other than his brain, it won't work. But that's why he goes down in the cage in the book. Ah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that he goes down in the cage. I was, I'm always waiting, and I'm always like, did I make that up? Yeah. Because it's come so late every time. Okay, yeah, I kept comes. looking at the runtime. I was like, there's only like 10 minutes left. When's this cage going to shut? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's strange. And we get a blink and you miss it. Topless Brody for one shot, by the way. Oh, yeah. And then he suddenly got his top back on. But I noticed. <laughs> I noticed. Right. I noticed and paused. Boobs, boobs confirmed. Yeah. Boobs. <laughs> uh, we reintroduce the explosive tanks again, and we get this lovely moment as he's going down, as Hooper's getting into cage. He's like, I've got no spit. I guess nice little, nice little yeah. touch. I was like, why does he, he, why does he need spit? He's got, he's got water. He's trying to clean out his, yeah. clean his goggles. What do you do inside the goggles, so isn't it, fog. to stop them you know, from fogging up? Can not just do that with the seawater? No. Okay. I'm sounding really ignorant here. So. <laughs> why haven't you been cage diving before? <laughs> <laughs> because I watched Jaws is as a child. Is this the reason? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he goes down and again, this is the thing that I think is really interesting in film. They're using the tension builder in the moments in between the scenes that would have tension. Whereas in most horror films, you get to the scene of tension and then it's a lot of walking around and waiting. Mm. Whenever like he's chumming, Bruce is right fucking there. Mm. Whenever something happens with the barrels, it happens straight away. Like this scene, he goes down in the cage immediately. There's no looking around, mm. no yeah. waiting. 
Bruce is just heading straight at mm-hmm. him yep. <laughs> immediately. Um, and it works. It's still spooky because he comes at him. And then, yeah, we get a rare shot of a real shark as it swims by him. And then it disappears and then creeps up behind him as clearly not a real shark, yeah. but good monstrous face. Mm. Yep. Smashes behind him. And as a kid, this was the second scare. That shot under the water was scary. This shot for me was like, fuck mm. off. The part that always makes me nervous is he's sticking his hands outside of the gate on the opposite yeah. side. Yeah. And I'm like, why would you stick your hands outside of the gate? And then, of course, the shark comes from behind That's him. like, and he, did, he hasn't learned his lesson from the shark tooth from earlier. Yeah. It's like, fuck's sake, man. I wrote, that's shit. what I wrote in my notes. I wrote, he's really good at dropping <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> scares him he drops the stabby thing and then yeah we get the shot of a real shark very different shape yeah. face it's all pointy <laughs> very different with movement. a miniature cage and a miniature person <laughs> behind him but yeah but still it's this good scary scene he does stab bruce a whole bunch as bruce like then plows into the fucking cage genuinely as a kid this is like this is nightmare fuel <laughs> this is just horrible uh, and then he climbs out of the top of the cage and swims to the bottom of the ocean as bruce is like all caught up in the cage and then they're pulling the cage up. Bruce is gone somehow. And they're presuming that their friend is dead. Again, still leaning into the ocean way too much. <laughs> yeah, they're like right in there as they're pulling this up. And then Bruce just decides, you know what, guys? It's been nearly two hours. We need to end this shit. So he just jumps onto the boat. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the part for me that you can tell it's a mechanical shark. Yeah, yeah, Like as soon yeah. as he jumps up, his moves side to side yeah. are like very robotic. Like, yeah. 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 And this is the moment that always blew my mind that in the UK, like apparently when this movie first came out, it was rated R in the US or something. I believe you will have, before PG-13, you have PG in America, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is rated PG in England. And it recently, mm. I think, just a few years ago, got upgraded to a 12. But it blew my mind that this film was a PG when you get this scene. <laughs> yeah. Quint, oh my God. Quint loses his grip as the whole boat's like tipping into the shark's mouth, essentially. Things are falling down. Quint loses his grip, which I only noticed this time because the explosive barrel rolls over his finger. So it's kind of yeah. like Hooper having a middle finger to him <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> and he slides down into the shark's mouth and is very slowly bitten in like oh, two and then consumed. Yeah. And, and then when a, he's dragged into sea, yeah. it's fucking horrible. Yeah, yeah. Like, how is this appropriate for yeah. Forget the shark kids. How is this okay yeah. for kids? Yeah. Don't understand. I don't understand. It's when the blood starts coming out of his mouth and it's that shot of the teeth yeah. in the belly. Yeah. Just, oh. And you cut to his face and he has like blood coming yeah. out of his mouth. And oh man. I miss, is, uh, I miss Chomp, Chomp 5. I miss Goldberg. <laughs> happy Chomp to do horror. Five. I really do. And I think it's the right impetus because yeah, the shark doesn't look great. So you distract us by making it super fucking nasty. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically, because then I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. And a bit when, when he's pulled out to sea, that's just haunting. Because mm. you just see him disappear under the water and it's just like and he's lifeless at that point he's just like oh so i I did have a note here so when sharks breach the water often you'll see in footage they'll get that like film thing going across their eye to protect their eyes they didn't do that (laughs) (laughs) they're supposed yeah they're supposed to do that when they eat too when they eat their eyes roll back into their head they're also supposed to not jump onto boats right (laughs) touche out this is a special chat. I think we've all agreed. Inaccurate. A- Inaccurate. <laughs> Crappy movie. Piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we're into the very, very end of the movie. There's just Brody and the shark left, or so he thinks. The shark busts through the boat. Brody smashes the explosive barrel into its mouth as it swims backwards away. Also inaccurate. Okay. You know what's crazy here is the pieces of Quint 
hanging off the yeah, shark's teeth. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, like yeah. cloth and yeah. flesh. It's just like so fucked up. Yeah, love it. The thing that struck me from the, at this part when I was watching it is like there's no music during this scene. Like you've just lo- you've had this horrific death, and then it's literally breaking in to the fucking boat, and there's no music. It's just calm. That's true. It's just quiet. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I think it's very smart where, they, where John Williams chooses to do no mm. music. It does make it more creepy. Yeah. yeah. The boat is almost submerged at this point. The mast is sticking out, so Brody climbs it with the rifle. Adventure music blends with the horror music here. And then we get this cool top-down shot as Bruce comes out of the water right underneath him as he's, like, stabbing at him and Bruce swims off. And then he comes back at him and this is it. He's just charging. I mean, it's very hard. It's like, how do you end a movie like this? It's like, there's very little you could do to, like, keep that tension going. And I think... Works well. He's got like a few shots. He's shooting at him, trying to hit the tank. Eventually gets him with the line, you son of a... But it's not allowed to say bitch, apparently. Don't say smile, you son of a bitch. Yeah, smile, you son... Oh, yeah, sorry. I wrote down smile, you son of a, but I just recently learned how to autocorrect. When I write smile, it turns into this cute little smiley emoji. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so small, I didn't even notice it in the notes. And he's basically in the water by this point. Mm. Like his toes are like yeah. in it. Yeah, it's a smile, you son of a... Shark blows up, blood everywhere, shark chunks everywhere. Quint I feel other everywhere. sharks would be drawn yeah. to yeah. this blood. Mm. <laughs> so, which I always thought as a kid, like the irony of if they're, when they're swimming back to shore, that's when they get killed by other sharks. <laughs> uh, and then Hooper suddenly turns up. He's like, oh, did you deal with that problem? Cool. Can I come back to just fuck your wife, please? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bit here where I, th- where I added some alternate lines because he swims, he goes, Quint, and he just nods his head. So if I've got some alternate lines that Brody could have said when he said Quint, he could have said, you're in him. Um, he <laughs> said, he's all around you. Or he could have gone there, there, and there. Those are all really good options. <laughs> yeah, I love that he just, he rocks, oh. rocks up and doesn't ask about Quint, just starts laughing. They just start laughing at each other. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, they're, just like, they're so happy. Yeah. Was it my uh, explosive barrel? That I, <laughs> yeah. Is that the Excellent. funny part? Yeah. Cool. yeah. He also, so also this, called Quint, yeah. This is another big change in the book. Hooper dies in the cage. Like as soon as he gets in, the shark gets his nose inside the cage and just rips him in half. It's because he had sex Um, with the wife. That's why he died. Because Uh, of the wife, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the other change is how the shark dies. The death of the shark in the book is pretty uneventful. He kind of just like bleeds out. Old age. From all, yeah, you see, had a disease. Well, so he bleeds um, out from just all like the barrel Just from the harpoon and wounds, right. yeah, and okay. from them stabbing at him and shooting at him over yeah. time. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, I think it's meant to be exciting because it's right as he's about to reach Brody. Right. But then he just, he just, he just magically like stops right yeah. in front of Brody. No, not a cinematic for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think the cinematic's cool. I don't like that Hooper kind of does nothing, but I also like that, to be honest, that they're both together seems right at the end of this movie. Yeah. I would have also liked if after the shark ate Quint, because of Quint being such an old sea dog, boozy sea dog, he just got blood alcohol. <laughs> 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 oh, on the shark is just alcohol. wasted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, Al, you mentioned that this shark explosion would attract a lot of other sharks. In the first day that they're out, Looking for the great white, they find a blue shark, I think, that Quint catches and then like pulls up, slits its belly and throws it back into the water just to watch more blue sharks come and eat it. Mm. And they spend a lot of time just doing that and they don't even find the great white the first day. 
Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, Peter Benchley had a lot of problems with the end of this movie, and that's why he eventually got chucked off of set because he just kept trying to like interfere. voice his problems, yeah, and interfere with it. And they're like, you, you may leave. You don't now. have hmm. final say, <laughs> my friend. But I think it works well, and I like that we have these incredibly short credits and sure. credits, like which really hammer home how few people work on this. <laughs> I totally forgot that that's how it ended <laughs> with them streaming at the credits yeah. starting right away. Yeah, and it's perfectly timed. In that last second, you see them getting onto the beach onto yeah. dry land it's great and there's a lot of seagulls so that film tom mentioned earlier night of the seagulls this is probably the prequel to that mm-hmm. this was the day of the seagulls and the night was to follow there you go <laughs> and that was jaws so as i yeah. said good work team the movie was supposed to open christmas 1974 filming ran way over schedule its release was then pushed back to summer and they were just gonna dump it they're like the shark didn't work this film's not gonna work let's dump it and like I said, in 1975, the worst movies were dumped in America in the summertime. However, this is the moment that changed everything. 67 million people went to see the film in 1975. It became the first summer blockbuster. It became the highest grossing film of all time up to that point. It became the first ever film to gross over 100 million. As we said, made 470 million. It changed Martha's Vineyard each summer, which used to have 5,000 people visiting it to 15,000 immediately. Wow. It literally created, and like that word's obviously used incredibly a lot of time, but it literally created the summer blockbuster. And you think about it nowadays, summer is when the big movies still come out to this day, far more than Christmas or any time of year. And that's all down to Jaws proving that people want to go see a big fun movie in the summertime. Do you reckon they just didn't know what they had? Like, so they'd, they'd film it, this was the final cut. Did you just think, yeah, this is shit, let's just dump it in the summertime? Like, or did it take test screenings for them to realize what they had or... I mean, again, they had some good test screenings. From what I read, I don't think they thought it was shit necessarily, but it was also just like, yeah, it's a B movie, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a monster movie and then the monster didn't work in it. Yeah. So I'm sure internally there's some disappointment about some of the stuff they intended to have here. And it's not like you can't make some money out of ditching it in the summer, but it was also like the big movies came out at Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I think they were just like, we missed our schedule. We're not going to wait till next Christmas. Let's just get, get it out. Up. Hopefully it'll make its money back, you know. Wow. It did very well indeed. <laughs> Although who did not do very well is Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw didn't make a penny from this movie, despite all the box office returns, because he was wanted for tax evasion in multiple countries. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> he had to forgo his entire salary. In fact, he wasn't even meant to be in America working. So on any of his days off, he would fly to Canada <laughs> to then fly back in again. And then at the, just as soon as his last shot was done, he had to flee the country. <laughs> oh my God. Shit. <laughs> what a fucking guy. <laughs> and one of my favorite little weird facts was several decades after the release of Jaws, Lee Fierro, who played Mrs. Kitner, you know, like the mother of the child who died, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed that the menu had an Alex Kitner sandwich. So she commented to like the proprietors, like all the people there. She's like, oh yeah, I played his mother like all these years ago, like decades later. And then the owner of the restaurant ran out to meet her and it was none other than Jeffrey Voorhees who had played her son in the movie and they hadn't seen each other since they shot. Oh my no God. No way. That's crazy. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. That is cool. I think she died recently, that actress. Oh, come on, man. That's a nice story. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's dead. She died of a shark attack. <laughs> Aw. The joy she was, was killed much. by the guy that played her son. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. That's Jaws. That's the first in the franchise. I've had a long episode, but well worth it because that's, you know. Is it the best in the franchise? Who knows? I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. We'll find out. Stay tuned. Before I uh, tease next week's episode... Alex, thoughts? Hi. Yeah, look, I'm going to try and be really quick. I 
tried to watch this and it's so easy to just come into this and, and think of all the iconic moments, think of the score by John Williams, you know, and be sort of already in the mindset of everything that makes this a, a classic masterful movie. And I tried to remove all of that and watch it with fresh eyes, which was really hard to do because it is a masterful iconic movie and all those moments and, and different elements all stand out for really, really good reason. I think it's just wonderfully told. It, it's really interesting, Ali, like what you were saying about what was in the book, because I think they definitely stripped away all the things that needed to be stripped away to have like a much cleaner narrative. I think bringing in those sort of the camaraderie and the friendships, I guess, was more important, I think, and making them likable and yeah I wouldn't have the affair thing would have been weird if they dropped that in but the thing I think really stood out for me this time that I paid more attention to was the writing and what we were talking about before of just how they give you backstory or contextualize things I thought was just done in such a really natural and easy way that kept the story moving forward but just fed you so much about these characters yeah I mean there's not much more that I can say that <laughs> because I, I think I ended up watching it with those same sort of rose-tinted glasses that I tried not to and <laughs> did get swept up in all the things that make it iconic and masterful. And yeah, it's an awesome film. I, I absolutely love it. And for me, it's still, you know, yes, you have the bits where the shark looks a, a little bit shit, but it, for me, the whole thing still just holds up and is still very, very effective. So yeah, that's about as much as I'm going to say about it. Thomas McCann, thoughts? Overall thoughts on Jaws? It's yeah. pretty good, isn't it? Like, it's decent. <laughs> like, um, well, no, I mean, like, yeah, I, I mean, I love Jaws. Like, I think Jaws is one of those, it's one of the classic movies that when you rewatch it, you're reminded of just how good it is. You know it's good, but then you rewatch it, you go like, wow, this is like, this is really is deserving of its classic status. And you discover more about it. Like, you discover layers to it every time. You can, like, focus more on, like, the writing and how masterful that is. Like you're saying, Alex, like, all these different things you can focus on is on how great they are in the film. For this watch, I was more trying to look at it from a horror point of view, because obviously this is a horror podcast, and that was interesting because, yeah, like I said, at the start, I was like, is Jaws a horror movie? And then for the first hour, like, it, it totally is. Like, with the, yeah, the killer's POV, the, the young people having fun, then the death, and the gratuitous nudity or whatever. Jump scares, you've got, like, you've got this relentless killer that doesn't have a backstory, it doesn't matter, he's just out to kill, and all these tropes are all there in the first hour and then it completely changes so like the first hour is like this pure amazing horror film and the second half is this weird adventure but i kind of think overall i'd say it is and it's got to be one of the standout early benchmark setters for everything that was to come but yeah i mean yeah what's more to say it's jaws it's great <laughs> ali thoughts i'm in a very similar boat to you two i have always loved this movie i had seen it several times and then actually two or three months ago, I found out Sean had never seen it. So we watched it together and I had the exact same experience as Alex where I realized how good the dialogue is. It is the writing, but it's also their performance and just the mm -hmm. way that they, there's just like constantly motion, especially in the beginning, yeah. which Al, you mentioned that the town just feels so alive because of that. And people are just constantly talking over each other. As you move through crowds, you hear snippets of like, people's lives as they're discussing it with whether it's Brody walking by or talking to each other. It's so authentic and entertaining and just like really draws you in. 
and then you get the exact same thing when it's just the three of them on the boat. Just they're like little throwaway lines that don't do anything for the story, make it so much better. And so have a lot of really great comedic relief. I think my favorite scene of the whole movie is the scene that we spoke about at length with Quint telling his story and ending with them singing a song together. I don't think I will ever get sick of this movie. Allie, book or movie? There must be a winner. It's weird because normally the book, but in this one, I do think movie just because the balance of the characters and their relationships with each other is a lot more fun to watch because it's, it's not just, I mean, there are a lot of just dick measuring moments in the movie, but in the book, it's even more so because your two main characters, Hooper and Brody are at odds the whole time because Brody suspects that he's been sleeping with his wife because there was one day that they were neither of them were reachable and it's really distracting so yeah, it's, I, I, I definitely I, you, you haven't sold the book in me ali it's like i don't watch jaws <laughs> and go like i need more adultery and organized she crime. sold one chapter <laughs> there's the one i can find the chapter and tell you what it is i mean i would tell people to read the book if they're a huge fan of the movie because yeah. it's the same way like i love harry potter the new beast whether i don't even remember what it's fantastic called beast. fantastic beast Nowhere near as good, but it's so fun to just be involved in that world that I'm going to keep going to see it. So if you love Jaws that much, then yeah, you should read the book. It's Mm. super fun. It was easy for me to read it in two days. I wasn't like groaning that I had to try to finish this Mm. quickly. So I'd recommend it. It's a bit like how I recommend a lot of people to read the Star Wars Extended Universe novels. (laughs) (laughs) None of them are canon anymore. I mean, yeah, it's Jaws. It's one of the greatest movies. And like, like you were all saying, like every time you go back to it, it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, this really is one of the great movies. I think when you're looking at it just purely from a technical point of view, from like, yeah, like we're talking about writing, acting, directing, like score, those first two acts, I can't fault them. Like, I think it's almost a perfect movie with all of the ways it constructs things in the archetypes of how we expect film to be made. It does fuck that up in the last act. Like the last act like breaks all of that stuff. So I do think you can judge it in some of that ways. And we pointed out some of the things that I think don't necessarily make sense or like they don't necessarily tie into. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the characters and charm is so high, so high. And that is, yes, the writing and the directing and the acting and like all of these elements that for me, it's just like you could remove these characters and that charm from this movie and I'll still have a movie that I love as a horror fan for just like a monster movie from the 70s that's got a lot of fun moments in it. You add Spielberg's class, you add like a classic score, and then you add actors with these moments that they develop that have so much character to them and it's on a whole different level. Mm. And for me, it's such a great example for like, yeah, if you want to do something on a different level, concentrate on the characters and cast really well. And unfortunately, some of that's just magic. Like you don't know the chemistry between people. You don't know that these two actors are really not going to get along and that's (laughs) going to work perfectly on screen, even though it's a nightmare during the shoot, probably. Don't know. Really a lightning in a bottle thing, I think, this movie. So that is Jaws. We do have some questions, Al. Oh, do we? Give me a question. So one question, we have three questions. First one from one of our viewers is, given the great whites became endangered due to public fear after the misinformation given in the film what responsibility if any do you feel movies slash creatives bear for spreading fictional information as facts or facts from scientists i mean i mean today we don't have to worry about creatives spreading fictional information (laughs) as facts (laughs) i think i think he's the leader of our country (laughs) 
for me, pers- I think it's a personal judgment call. For me personally, there are a lot of films which actually I just have problems with. Like I have problems with a lot of biographies just because I don't like something telling me how to feel about a real person when you're manipulating me with an actor and music and all of this shit, you know? So there's some that I just don't like. And I feel the same way about stuff like this. I do think there is a responsibility. I do think we have to be careful how we're saying this stuff. But I also feel like I don't believe in censorship. So I'm also like, you get to make whatever you want to make. And it's up to people if they want to support it or not. And you hope that people will appreciate or be intellectual enough to realize this is just a fucking movie. But it does affect people's lives. Jaws did affect people's lives and how they saw sharks for a long time. I'm glad Pete eventually tried to change that afterwards. I think that was a noble thing to do. I don't think there's any harm. Like it might be something stupid and it might be something people like us would scoff at. But I don't think there's any harm before certain movies just having like, like we have certificates for movies. I would not personally be against having things that come up just to be like, this is a fucking monster movie. I would, over I would scoff just at that. I would be a scoffer. Yeah. I would be one of the scoffers. But you scoff it and then you watch the movie. The movie's still the movie, isn't it? Yeah, you know? But I don't know. I personally would be careful with what I write, but I don't think that should mean everybody should be careful with what they write. Tell what stories you want to tell. Yeah. I am in a similar boat. I think... You're in all the boats, I'm in all the boats. I need a new phrase. You're in a phrase. lot of boats. You need a bigger boat. I need a bigger boat. I have too many similar opinions in my boat. I think there's a world where both of these exist and that's okay. I think Jaws is unique in that when it was written, it was believed to be true. So that's one type of mistake that you don't know you're making until people study sharks more. And like Al mentioned, Peter Benchley then dedicated a lot of his time and efforts into spreading the truth and doing more research and working with different conservation efforts. But I like if you're writing a monster movie, you write a monster movie. That's totally fine. Um, I think, yeah, creatives just should be able to write what they want to write. And as long as you're not selling it as a fact, if you know that it's not true or are unsure if it's true or not, then you should be able to do what you want. Great. Anything else to add, anyone? I think so. We need to wrap this up. You want to wrap it up, Al? No more questions? No, no, we can do it. If there's something else that you think is worth a quick... If Spielberg himself made a new Jaws-related thing, sequel, reboot, prequel, etc., what would you want it to be? <laughs> good. Dick shark? <laughs> Dick shark. <laughs> yeah, as good as the first one. I would want... Okay, this would be my, my only stipulation. If Spielberg came back and was like, yeah, I'm going to make Jaws 5 now, I would want it to be low budget. That's what I would say. Because he has too much power, too much money. It's going to like turn into a ready fucking player one nightmare of like CGI stuff. It's like, no, I would want him to be compromised. That's what I'd want. Because I think for me, Spielberg's always been at his best when he was compromised and had to fight something a little bit. I'd want Tom Cruise in it. <laughs> Playing the shark? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, he's too, <laughs> small. he's too small, isn't he? <laughs> you can get The Rock. The Rock can be the shark. Mm-hmm. Bruce the and Dwayne. Yeah, Rock v. Shark is, is what I want to see. Yeah. Spielberg yeah, directs. Basically, Rock Statham versus the Meg. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right. Is that it? We're done? We good? We're done. Excellent. Please do, again, find us, rate us, subscribe, we're geeks and all of the stuff with the things. You can follow me on the social medias and on Play Xbox and PlayStation with the Friday 13th and stuff like that. I'm Mr. Al White on everything and find out when we're doing these Zoom calls and whatever stuff. Ali, what about you? You can find me on Instagram at Ali Sue. Alexander. Instagram and Twitter at Alexander Chard. McCann. I'm on all the things as Down in Autumn, which is Down as in Falling Down and Autumn as in Fall. And you normally are down in autumn. I can vouch for that. I'm all the seasons. Um, I'm dying all the seasons. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's a year-round treat. Oh, yeah. Next week, we're going to be, of course, dealing with Jaws 2. It came out three years later. Ali, you haven't seen it, so let me just give you a little glimmer of hope. Roy Scheider, returning. Wow. I've heard Back. of him. The wife, returning. <laughs> Back. Ellen. The mayor, returning. Back. Spielberg, not returning. Directed by Ginot Schwartz, <laughs> who you might know from Ali McBeal, Grey's Anatomy, Bones, Supernatural, and probably the biggest film he did was actually uh, Supergirl way back in the day. If the mayor's anchor suit returns, I'm going to be very excited. <laughs> Instant recommend. Yeah. Instant recommend. Uh, until then, everybody have a lovely week. We're out. Geeks. Geeks. Geeks.